Support for Breaking Walls is provided by our patrons. Become a show supporter at patreon.com slash thewallbreakers. You realize that Tuesday is Washington's birthday? Well, frankly, I hadn't given it much thought. Sunday, like February 20th, 1949. We're inside NBC's Radio City Hollywood at the corner of Sunset and Vine. We're about to listen to a broadcast of the adventures of Ozzie and Harriet. And today, something about the broadcast is very different. For the first time, David and Ricky Nelson will be playing themselves. I was 14 when I went on television for the first time. But previous to that, the Ozzie and Harriet show was on radio. And it was on for three years prior to my brother and myself joining the cast. We kind of talked our father and mother into letting us be on the radio show because it sounded like a lot of fun. At the time, I was 11 and Rick was 7. We did a couple of previews and my brother got a lot of laughs, so they decided to put us on the show. I think it was a hard decision for them, at least in talking with them over the years that I've found. Because Rick, being 7, could not read yet. He uh, memorized all the radio scripts, but I can recall Rick sitting at a table because they didn't have a mic that would come down far enough to him for him to stand up, but he refused to go on the show without a script, even though he had memorized his part. So he would slide these pages on the table and do the radio show that way. There were several incidents that were, he got a lot of laughs that he wasn't supposed to because he had a feeling that since he couldn't sit his feet under the table, the audience couldn't either. And he would one by one take his shoes off and then his socks would come off. He'd take one toe and put it on the back of the sock and pull it off. And Father Katerini these laughs. He couldn't figure out where they were coming from. Finally, one night he turned around and saw it. What is it? It's nothing really, Mom. David is 12, Ricky 8. The boys have been pressuring their parents to join the cast for years. But Ozzie and Harriet have been hesitant to subject their young children to the pressures of big-time network radio. It is something. Oh. I kind of thought you'd like to tell us about it. So what caused Ozzie and Harriet to change their minds? Nothing. Tonight, we'll find out. David, we're not trying to pry into your personal affairs, but why don't you just tell us about it? Maybe we can help you. Welcome to Breaking Walls, episode 107. My name is James Scully. Tonight on Breaking Walls, we go back to school with the Nelson family and find out why David and Ricky joined the program and how it affected the entertainment industry forever. If this is your first time listening to Breaking Walls, welcome to the show. You can find this series on every podcasting platform and at thewallbreakers.com. Tonight's opening theme song is the Ventures rendition of The Theme from a Summer Place. It's from their 1969 album, Hawaii Five-0. And it's a great song for a family that spent a large portion of the 20th century at the center of American pop culture. Join the Breaking Walls Facebook group to keep in touch with news, snippets, photos, and other additions to the podcast at facebook.com slash groups slash thewallbreakers. 
and Burning Gotham, the new historical fiction audio drama set in 1835 New York City, is on its way. Go to burninggotham.com for teasers and more information. You can also support these shows for as little as $1 per month at patreon.com slash thewallbreakers. One criticism that's been uh, spoken of the show, and it's a mild criticism, it seems to me, is that the show was a more accurate picture of New Jersey in the 20s than yes. Los Angeles in the 50s. Now, of course, you grew up in New Jersey. Yes, so, yes. And it would, I suppose, be a, since you were the writer, but bound to be reflective of your own life, of your own past, as well as your present, I Yes, I, I think so. And I think that it's very difficult for anybody who's writing to uh, keep his own thoughts and keep a great deal of himself out of his writings. Mm -hmm. I not only use the pattern of my relationship to David and Ricky, but also uh, I have a brother who's very much younger than I am, but I also have a brother who's a year and a half older. Yeah. I patterned a lot of the thoughts and a lot of the uh, happenings actually from things that did happen to my brother and me back in New Jersey. Now you said in your book it was a very happy childhood. You speak yes. very yes. fondly of your father and said you try to pattern your life after your father's life. That's right, yes. He was a uh, very kindly and very understanding man. He had some of the same fine traits that Harriet has. Mm -hmm. And that is there are very few people, I think, who have two standards where their own standard of conduct is higher than the standard of conduct they demand of others. Mm -hmm. And I think this was something that my father had. He was very tolerant of the conduct of others, but he was very circumspect as far as his own conduct mm -hmm. is concerned. Oswald George Nelson was born on March 20, 1906 in Jersey City, New Jersey. The second son of Ethel and George Nelson, he grew up in Ridgefield Park, a village in Bergen County. Both of his parents had been local musicians and entertainers, and it wasn't long before Ozzie and his brother Alfred joined in. I was born in Jersey City and I was brought up in a little town called Ridgefield Park, which is in Bergen County. We moved there when I was five years old. In those days, most of the amateur performances were given in the form of minstrel shows. And uh, my father used to coach shows, local entertainment. There were a lot of vaudeville theaters in those days. And we would listen to the, the jokes that the, and the songs that the various acts would sing. And then we had records, Van and Skank and Al Jolson and people of that nature. As a matter of fact, I was looking through an old book the other day, I saw a photograph and it said a typical a musical evening with a family uh, around uh, 1920 or 1915, somewhere thereabouts. And that was typical of our family. Almost everybody played some sort of an instrument and sang. What was yours? Well, I studied the violin for a very short time. Mm -hmm. I studied it for a while and I thought I was doing very well and then all of a sudden I learned that there was more than one position and that defeated me. <laughs> and along about that time, the ukulele became very popular. 
I got a ukulele and then I tuned that up like a banjo and then saxophones became popular so I started playing saxophone. And mm -hmm. Contrary to general belief, people who are not familiar with music, if you can play one instrument, usually you can play almost any instrument with a little trying. Mm -hmm. So uh, most of the kids, the, the musicians I went with could play various instruments. That may encourage enough other kids to play the ukulele. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, of course, nowadays it's the guitar. Everybody plays yes. the guitar. Mm -hmm. Ozzy grew up fishing, playing sports, and becoming the youngest Eagle Scout in history at the age of 13. As I say, I had a lot of help from my brother, who was a year and a half older than I was. And so while he was taking all the tests, I was sort of taking them along with him. So most of the time, I just waited for the time to expire when I could move to another test. And also, scouting was a very, very big thing in those days, particularly in small towns. Mm -hmm. And the town I was brought up in, Ridgefield Park, is the kind of town, as I say, that seems no longer to exist. It had all of the community spirit and so forth. And radio just came in when I was in high school. Talking pictures came in a little bit later. So that scouting was a thing that most kids went into. Mm -hmm. They had, I don't know how many Boy Scout troops in this little town, and everybody just waited till he was big enough and old enough to be a Boy Scout. And then we went away to scout camp and took the various tests. Sunday, July 4th, 1920. 300 Boy Scouts to see Europe. Pick of organization in America will sail Tuesday on transport Pocahontas. The New York Herald Tribune. On July 6, 1920, Ozzie Nelson was one of the Boy Scouts assembled at Fort Hamilton in Brooklyn. It was for a trip to Europe as representatives of America at the International Convention of Boy Scouts. It began on July 30th at Olympia Stadium near London. Yes, I went to Europe with the first Boy Scout Jamboree, which was a very fortunate thing. And I was very happy that I wrote a diary on the tour because it uh, enabled me to uh, remember a lot of things. And also my brother went on the tour too. He was an Eagle Scout and he kept a diary. That gave me a lot of material for the book during that particular period. When I was about 14 was when the ukulele craze came in. I was on the Boy Scout Jamboree to Europe and a kid sat on my ukulele, so when I got back home, uh, I conned my father into buying me a banjo and I strummed it up like a ukulele and uh, we had a little band in high school and that's how I got interested in music. After returning from Europe on September 4th, Ozzy began his sophomore year at Ridgefield Park High School. He formed a musical duo with friend and pianist Frank Leitner. In February of 1921, the local women's club was hosting a dance when, thanks to a blizzard, the big city orchestra couldn't arrive. And Ozzy's mother volunteered he and Frank. They were a smash. At the end of the night, the boys received $5 each. It was the first time Ozzy was a paid musician. Before long, they were playing all over New Jersey and even occasionally in New York City. Our band was a two-piece orchestra, if you can call a two-piece group a band. <laughs> There's another boy who played really excellent piano, and I played banjo, and then I also uh, brought along my violin, when I tuned the E string to E flat so I could slide up and down it sort of like a musical saw. Because my brother occasionally played piano with us too, and he could only play in E flat and B flat, so we had to tune that down. We made all sorts of adjustments. <laughs> For larger events, Ozzy and Frank's brothers joined, adding a drummer and violin. They called themselves the Syncopation Four, 
and earned up to $10 a night. That's the modern equivalent of roughly $150, and they were sometimes playing three nights a week. That fall, Alfie went to Rutgers, and Ozzie split his time between school, varsity football, and playing in the band. Ozzie attended the university's annual concerts and liked the Rutgers football program and musical club. In the spring of 1923, he was offered a full scholarship. Ozzie would spend the next four years in the banks of the old Raritan. We were talking about college reunions and going back. You said an interesting thing about when you see people you haven't seen for quite a few years, that they look like children or youngsters, you remember them, growing up and it's not quite real if you haven't seen yeah, them. That's true. Yeah. You know, when we were waiting for the parade, a funny thing happened. We were in the, they had a whole cavalcade of cars. We were sitting there and there were a very nice bunch of kids from the college and a lot of kids from town. And they brought sandwiches up to us and hot coffee and stuff. And uh, one kid came up to me and handed me a cigarette. And I don't smoke, and uh, I, I had a cigarette, and I looked at it, and I thought, this is a rather strange-looking cigarette. <laughs> I, it, it smelled a little strange, and I said to Harry, this looks a little uh, strange, doesn't it? And just then, the president of the university came over, and he said, I'd like you to meet the chief of police. And he said, he's in charge of the escort for the parade. And Harry's saying that to me, so I tried to slide this to Harriet, and she backed away. Now I'm here, and I'm standing here, and I quickly stuck it in my pocket, and here's this thing smoldering in my pocket, and I'm in between the chief of police and the president of the university. But, oh, it's uh, lit. Oh, yes, it's lit. It's oh. lit. Yeah, we're all ready for action. When the chief of police put his hand out... When the chief of police put his hand out, I didn't know whether he was going to confiscate the evidence or he was going to shake hands with me. In 1923, he was at the Rivoli Theater in New Jersey when he saw a sign. It said, Amateur night next Monday. Two big shows. First prize, $10. Second prize, $5. Third prize, $3. Ozzie asked for a blank application. And this is a true story. I remember the first act that was on was a, a guy stood in the amber spotlight and he recited The Kid's Last Fight. I'm sure you've recited it many times. And there were several other... <laughs> several other acts on the bill. Then I came on and I played the banjo and I sang and I did a little dance and I played the saxophone. I did the, the whole routine, told a couple of stories. I think I did pretty well. I got a pretty good hand. Then there was one more act that followed me. And this was an old man. He must have been in his early 70s, and he had a bald head. And he came out, and he did this, oh, it was a real kinky little dance. It was just, just, it was pitiful. It was just awful. And he kind of built up, and he worked up to it. And the last four bars, the band built up really big. And the old man, and he did a backflip, almost. And he landed right on his head, his bald head, <laughs> right on the stage. And he stretched out on the stage. Well, his wife was in the wings with me, and she ran out, and I ran out, and we picked up this poor old man. He said, I'm all right, I'm all right. We held him up there. Then the guy came out with the money, and I'm holding this poor old man up, and they hold the money over his bald head, and they tore the theater down. He won first prize easily, you see, and we got him off. Now, I, I, I said, are you all right? I said, I'm, I'm fine. Now we do the second show. And I went out and I did mine, and the kid did the thing with the kid's last fight, and I did mine, and I did pretty well again. 
Now the old man, I figure, what guts? The old man is going to go out and do his act again. Now he goes out and does the same dance. He jumps up. Again, he stretched out. It was his act. Right on his head? <laughs> so his wife said, now we pull, we pull. I said, will you get out and lift him up this time? I said, that's a bum truck. <laughs> that's his act. Hold that on was his act. While at Rutgers, Ozzie played football and took it as much vaudeville as possible. But unfortunately, his father passed away in 1927 at just 48 years old. Ozzy, I suppose the first time I became conscious of Ozzy Nelson's orchestra was when you began to play at the Glen Allen Casino yeah. and broadcast on radio. The thing I did not know was that you were still in law school and yes. the Glen Allen Casino was one of the biggest places from which to play, I guess, in the whole yes. country. Our band was the first band to play there. It started us and I guess we started Glen Allen Casino because after us there was a whole series of named bands. It sort of overlapped. I had to take a night off from Glen Allen Casino to graduate from law school. The three things sort of converged. I was coaching football at Lincoln High School and I had the dance band that was doing very well. And then I was in law school and I really uh, didn't know which way to turn. And I figured that I would stay with the dance band until I'd accumulated enough money to uh, study law and open up an office, but I think it's a little late didn't now. Didn't work out, did it? <laughs> no. <laughs> After Ozzy graduated from Rutgers, he went to New Jersey Law School. He was both studying law and playing music. Torn between what to do, one Sunday night in 1930, he was listening to a local New York program coming over WMCA. It featured a dance band and singing orchestra. Milton Romer of Romer Furniture was MC. An announcer Ozzy knew introduced him to the program director. They gave Ozzy 24 hours to assemble a band. Romer and Ozzy worked out a partnership. The band would appear on Romer's radio show, and he would become their manager. By the next year, Ozzy was appearing all over the tri-state area and recording records with Brunswick. Good publicity from Romer's friend and radio editor Nick Kenny helped Ozzy finish third in a New York Daily Mirror poll for the most popular radio MC. The next summer, the band became the first to play the Glen Island Casino, and Ozzy Nelson debuted on CBS. Network radio in the early 1930s had a loose schedule. Its rapid rise helped catapult Ozzy and his orchestra to fame as they packed the hall with throngs of young dancers. On New Year's Eve in 1931, Ozzy was playing New York's Edison Hotel. The MC that evening was a poised, self-assured 22-year-old who danced and announced the acts. Ozzy was struck by everything about her. Her name was Harriet Hilliard.
But how, huh. how typical was your television family? Not that there is a typical American family. I'm not sure what that really means. But how typical was your television family, do you think? What did uh, it represent, Harriet? I think it represented middle America. Ozzie came from a family in New Jersey. His dad was a banker. And uh, he came from that kind of a home. You know, he, he went to a public school, and then he went to Rutgers University. And, and it was... Mine was a little different. I came from that kind of a family, but my mother and dad were in show business, so I was born in the theater. And you started early. How old were you when you first went in front of people for money? Six weeks. Do you believe it? Ozzy spent early 1932 playing in Miami Beach, Florida. He filled out every section of the band, including hiring Harriet Hilliard as singer. She was born Peggy Lou Snyder on July 18, 1909 in Des Moines, Iowa. Her parents, Roy and Hazel, were noted performers who helped guide the stage careers of famous actors, including Clark Gable and Ralph Bellamy. Harriet was on stage from almost birth. By 15, she came to New York with her mother to study ballet and starred on Broadway the following year in The Blonde Sinner. Soon after, she was playing two-a-days at RKO's vaudeville theaters throughout the country. When she was booked at the Hollywood restaurant in New York, it was originally supposed to be for a limited engagement. Before long, she was earning $150 per week, or roughly three grand today, right in the heart of the Great Depression. I also recall in those days, you had a vocalist named Harriet Hilliard. Yes, right. With whom you sang boy-girl yeah. duets. Now, yes, whatever happened yes, to her? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, she became Harriet Nelson. And, yes, uh, yes. Right, you bet. Well, the reason I did that, I started to have a vocalist with the band, was because Rudy Valley, if you recall, was Great a tremendous name in those days. It's hard for people nowadays to realize what a tremendous name Rudy was. Mm -hmm. The girls loved him and the guys hated him. That's right. I didn't like that idea very much, and I thought maybe rather than to sing the songs to the girls that the guys brought to the dance, if I could have a, an attractive girl on the bandstand and sing songs to her, musical comedy fashion, might work out, and so... Uh, it worked out. It worked out, yes. Mm -hmm. In the fall of 1932, the band played the Paramount Grill on 46th Street in Broadway. They were on from 8.30 to 1 a.m., not only for the dancing crowds, but playing two radio broadcasts each night, developing a conversational style that became a musical comedy routine. By the middle of the year, Ozzie and Harriet were dating. The Baker's Broadcast, brought to you by the makers of Rice and Keats in behalf of the 30,000 makers of the United States and Canada, presenting Ozzie Nelson and his orchestra with Harriet Hilliard and starring Joe Petter. In the fall of 1933, they signed to do their first weekly radio series, The Baker's Broadcast, which was sponsored by Standard Brands and produced by the J. Walter Thompson Advertising Agency. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Ozzie Nelson speaking. Joe Penner was the star for the next two seasons, and the audience peaked in 1935 with a rating of 31.3, sixth highest on radio. Penner was replaced in the fall of 1935, and Robert Ripley took over. Believe it or not. Baker's Broadcast, presented in behalf of the 30,000 bakers in the United States and Canada, 
with Ozzie Nelson and his orchestra, and believe it or not, Robert Ripley. Thanks to their success, Ozzie and Harriet were exempt from the worst hardships of the Great Depression, and New York in the 1930s was the place to be for a band leader. The city featured Paul Whiteman, Eddie Duchin, Guy Lombardo, Tommy Dorsey, Ray Noble, Benny Goodman, Artie Shaw, Vincent Lopez, and Ozzie Nelson and Harriet Hilliard. By virtue of playing together every night, the Nelson Orchestra had developed a distinctive relaxed style, and working for the Baker's broadcast helped Ozzie meet the show's producer and director, Ed Gardner. The combination created a zany broadcast, and that was fine with announcer Ben Grauer, who was never a fan of NBC's stuffy 1930s atmosphere. All staff people had to wear tuxedo after 6 p.m. The dominant note was one of cautious formality with the listener. The doctrine was that you were a guest in the home. It was, a, you can understand it, if they came out of the of a kind of a rigid doctrine of uh, decorum and courtesy and correctness. This was the thing to do. And this was even reflected in the, bro in the broadcaster's work. The earliest hosts or masters of ceremonies were very square. They had to be. The idea was that uh, you were the spokesman for this dignified, responsible, highly ethical uh, corporation. They weren't sure of themselves and in the new medium to take chances or to fool around or to loosen up. It was uh, ceremonial rather than creative. Ozzie Nelson later claimed in his autobiography that he watched numerous men fall in love with Harriet Hilliard whenever she was on stage. He had quickly become one of them. Early on the morning of August 18, 1935, the band was traveling by car in Texas they were on their way to the Coconut Grove Club in California. Ozzie and Harriet rode alone with their driver, Harold Lane. Harriet suddenly turned to Ozzie and said, You haven't said anything the past 50 miles. Ozzie had been thinking about their future. He felt the couple had enough money saved up to get married. He asked Harriet what she thought. Her response? I thought you'd never ask. Are you new to old-time radio? A hardcore fan? Curious, but don't know where to start? Try the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society, a podcast dedicated to the great horror, crime, and suspense shows from the golden age of radio, including tales from Suspense, Lights Out, Quiet Please, The Shadow, and more. Each episode features a classic or maybe not-so-classic story from the old-time radio vault, complete with historical notes and trivia. At the end of each podcast, your mysterious old hosts, Tim, Joshua, and Eric, discuss the merits of the story and decide whether or not it stands the test of time, balancing insight and humor to make you think harder about what made these old shows so great, even when they aren't so great. The Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society is available everywhere you get your podcasts, as long as you get your podcasts from iTunes or Podbean.
For more information about the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society, or to download episodes directly, visit ghoulishdelights.com. And now back to Breaking Walls. Reverend Russell said to us, he thought that many marriages went on the rocks because the people needed other people to surround their marriage. Get thee behind me, Satan. And in other words, they would say, well, let's call up Jim and Bob and go to the movies tonight or go out to dinner. And he said, if you can try through your life to have enough mutual interest, mutuality of interest, so that you don't need other people, that it'll be fun to associate with other people, but that your marriage can stand up alone. And I think that that comes in very handy, not only at the beginning of a marriage, but also later on when your children grow up and move away and there the two of you sit there staring at each other. Ozzie and Harriet were married in Hackensack, New Jersey on October 8, 1935. Shortly after, Harriet left for Hollywood. She was supporting actress to Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire and followed the fleet. The pay was $1,500 per week. Honey, this is Kitty Collins. Kitty Collins, this is my sister. How do you do? Hiya. Do you uh, fix her up? Well, I'll do what I can, Sherry. Uh-oh, I've got to go on. I'll be back after the number. Remember the old saying, clothes make the man. Do you have to wear these? Oh, no, I just wear them to impress my pupils. I'll bet they're impressed. The film featured small appearances by two future stars, Betty Grable and Lucille Ball. Lucy and Harriet shared the screen. Hello. How was heaven when you left? Tell me, little boy, did you get a whistle or a baseball bat with that suit? Ozzy stayed behind in New York to work with the band, but that didn't stop the couple from collaborating. I think the records that got the biggest play of ours, there was a record called Rigamarole, and then one called Swampfire that were instrumentals that did very well. And of course, I'm looking for a guy sold very big. That must have sold close to 100,000 copies, which was a lot in those days. When Harriet was out here, this was about 1936, somewhere thereabouts. She did a song called Roses in December that George Jessel wrote that she did in a picture movie for RKO. And to my knowledge, it's the first time that this was done. For our record, we made the background in New York and shipped the platter out to the West Coast. And she sang over our record. Harriet Nelson stepped off a train at Grand Central Station on January 3, 1936. Reporters asked her how she felt about long-distance marriages. They're bunk, she said. Nobody shows a profit but the telephone company. She was staying home to start a family. Follow the Fleet opened to smash reviews on February 20, 1936. Harriet Nelson was hailed as a new star. The couple rented a beautiful apartment on the Upper East Side in Manhattan while Ozzy signed with the Music Corporation of America. Radio had begun to permeate every aspect of American life. Ozzy Nelson and his orchestra had become a household name. And Harriet was now pregnant. 
David Oswald Nelson, the couple's first child, was born on October 24, 1936 at Doctors Hospital in Manhattan. But Harriet would soon be forced to leave David's side. RKO had her report to Hollywood in January. She was to film Life of the Party and the New Faces of 1937. When I started, I concentrated mostly on singing and the special material duets. So my saxophone playing was limited to most of the time when we'd play in vaudeville and so forth. And uh, the other saxophone players in our band were so much better than I was that I sort of eased out of it. In the fall of 1937, Ozzy and the band joined Harriet on the West Coast. Ozzy played the rapidly expanding supper clubs and ballrooms in Hollywood. J. Walter Thompson's radio man, John Reber, wanted to ensure that the young couple could be together. He canceled the Ripley show and moved production to Hollywood while Harriet filmed Coconut Grove, co-starring Fred McMurray and Eve Arden. The new format would feature Olympian and cartoonist Feg Murray. Ozzy and Harriet would sing and interview guests. However, the program was canceled after one season, and the band wrapped up its five-year relationship with Standard Brands. With no new radio shows on the horizon, Ozzy took the band on the road. Young David stayed behind with their family in New Jersey. Ozzy and Harriet knew they needed to settle down and saw radio as their medium of choice. By the fall of 1939, Harriet was again pregnant. While in the Midwest on May 8, 1940, Ozzy was sitting in his dressing room between shows when he received a call from his older brother Al. Harriet had given birth to their second child, a boy. Ozzy didn't get to see him until May 12th. They named him Eric Hilliard Nelson. Nobody else comes in free to watch these rehearsals. Everybody else. Maybe I'll let you have reservations next week sometime. Make it four ringside Thursday night. Dr. Beeney. I am Mrs. Minnie Lambert Spa. And I am Signor Tommaso Spinaggio Victor. Now, please, get out. Mr. Victor, you don't understand. The man standing in back of me is the sheriff. No favorites. First come, first... What? Oh, I, uh, uh, don't. Nobody leave this room. Hey, what is this? It's a pinch. That's all, brother. That's all, sister. Hey, wait a minute. Since when is music against the law? In the spring of 1941, Ozzie and Harriet made a musical for Columbia called Sweethearts of the Campus with Ruby Keeler and Gordon Oliver. It opened in June. Shortly after, they were playing the Palace Hotel in San Francisco when Ed Fisherman of William Morris called. Brown and Williamson Tobacco was going to sponsor a radio show in the fall. It was to star Red Skelton. They wanted Ozzie and Harriet on the show to sing duets and appear in comedy sketches. Are you kidding? You can find any iniquity around here, I'll go 50-50 with you. The new program debuted on Tuesday, October 7, 1941, at 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time on NBC. The Raleigh Cigarette Program from Hollywood, starring Red Skelton, with Ozzie Nelson and his orchestra, Harriet Hilliard, and yours truly, Truman Bradley.
Holiday bells will jingle, spirits will really tingle if you give Rolly cigarettes for Christmas, packed in their bright, colorful gift carton. Rollies are blended to please every smoker. Yes, 31 separate and distinctly finer tobaccos go into Rolly's superb blend for smoother, richer, milder flavor, greater smoking satisfaction. And in giving Rollies, you present a gift of distinction. Anyone can actually see that Raleigh's cigarettes are better made from the more golden tobaccos. Tobaccos that experts agree are choicer, more expensive. So this Christmas, give the cigarette that gives more. The pack with the coupon on the back, Raleigh Cigarettes. And now we bring you Metro-Golden-Mayer's young comedian, the star of our show, Red Skelton. <laughs> Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Hi, you, Truman. Hello, Red. Been out Christmas shopping? No, I always look this way on Meatless Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> Say, Red, I suppose you're going home for Christmas, aren't you? I certainly am, if I can get a seat on that sunset bus. <laughs> oh, no, no, Red. I mean, are you going back to Vincennes, Indiana? Well, well, I'd like to, Truman, but you know, if I bought a ticket on a train or a bus, it might deprive some soldier of a seat. Well, gee, I never thought of that, Red. Yep. I suppose a lot of soldiers will be going home for Christmas. Yeah, I saw one boy down the station saying goodbye to his girl this morning. <laughs> boy, did he give her a long kiss. Was it really a long kiss? Yeah, I felt sorry for the girl. <laughs> she tripped over a switch as they were passing Pomona. <laughs> But Red, despite the fact that it's nice to be going home for Christmas, it is much more important to let soldiers use our trains than for you and me to go home and see Uncle Jamesy. Sure, besides, who wants to go to Alcatraz over the holiday? <laughs> I was in the jug once. <laughs> you were, Ozzy? Yeah, I whistled at what I thought was a weak sister. What was it? An able-bodied whacker. <laughs> Hiya, Harriet. Say, you're not planning to go home on the Christmas holidays, are you? Oh, no. Today, soldiers come first. Yeah, you know, I know a soldier who came home on a furlough. He opened the door and he says, well, here I am at last. What happened, Red? Well, they told him about no meat, no butter, no eggs, no gas, no coffee, and one lump of sugar. <laughs> mm -hmm. He opened the door and says, which way is Guadalcanal? <laughs> you know, Red, I'll bet that some of the soldiers that are going home for Christmas haven't seen their folks for over a year. That's right. I sure hope that people realize that if they try to travel over the holidays... They'll tie up the rail and bus traffic so that nobody will be able to travel. Oh, I think they know that, Red. Yeah, you know, I'll never forget the time I had to ride on a crowded train. I had to stand up all the way to Kansas City. Well, that's not so bad. In an upper berth? <laughs> well, why didn't you take a lower berth? No, I don't like them. Why not? Somebody's always trying to play footsies with my face. <laughs> Say, Red, did you hear from Wonderful Smith this week? Yes, I got a letter from Wonderful Smith. Would you like to hear it? Oh, yes, read it, Red. Okay, it says, Dear Mr. Skelton and Friends, I'm here... Boy, he writes fast, don't he? <laughs> it says, Dear Mr. Skelton and Friends, Well, all day long I've been sitting here looking at a barrage balloon overhead. <laughs> By the way, ask my girl to write me a letter, will you? <laughs> it says, This army life is really, uh, really healthy. Up every morning... I started to say Raleigh healthy there, do you know? <laughs> Up every morning at 5.30 and under an ice cold shower. Some morning I'm going to turn it on to see what'll happen. <laughs> Anymore? Yeah, he goes on, he says, uh, Oh, yes, the other day one of our cadets got balled out. Our plane was 25,000 feet in the air when I started to form on the wings. He wanted to crawl out and make a snowman. <laughs> Red? Yeah, he says, uh, tonight we're going to have thousands of good things to eat. Gee, did he say what it was going to be? Yeah, beans. <laughs> <laughs> What's that P.S., Red? Uh, P.S., I rode to the dairy this morning after 38 gallons of milk. I won't say these Jeeps are rough riding, but I don't know what we're going to do with all this butter. 
As long as you're not in love with anyone else Why don't you fall in love with me? You're driving me crazy, baby, trying to guess By March of 1942, the show's rating had climbed to 32.5, fourth highest on radio. Roughly 24 million people were tuning in. Along with Bob Hope and Fibber McGee and Molly, the Red Skelton Show helped form NBC's vaunted Tuesday night comedy trio. In 1943, it was The Skelton Show that was the highest rated on the air. Ozzy would later call working with Red in education and comedy. But if class was in session, all three were learning from each other. The trio had great chemistry. Oh, I'm getting married Friday. How about Saturday night? Harriet's vaudeville training proved to be a tremendous asset. She originated the characters Daisy June, Calamity Jane, and the mother of Junior, the mean widow kid. And then after that, he went into Radio Red Skelton with Ollie Figurin. And you played Junior's mother. On I did the <laughs> mother, the mean little kid. <laughs> and then I did Daisy June, mm -hmm. Clem Caniddle Hopper. I did Daisy Dead Eye. Yeah. Yeah. And I did yeah. Calamity June. Did you have fun working with Red? Uh, oh, and, yeah, he's such a brilliant comic. I've often said, when he was right, when his timing was so right, I used to get chills down my back. He was like, listening to a great symphony, you know? He's such a talent. As long as you're not in love with anyone else, why don't you fall in love with me? I've got a C card. Why don't you fall in love with me? Hilliard singing, as long as you're not in love with anyone else, why don't you fall in love with Ozzy? <laughs> now that the Christmas spirit has, <laughs> has everybody uh, buying presents, I'm proud to say that the Teamsters Union of Southern California are buying one million Raleigh cigarettes a month for the boys overseas for the duration of the war, and that's really some present. And speaking of uh, buying, let's look in on different people in department stores tonight. First, we'll start out west, where we find Deadeye. He's working as a bank messenger over the holidays. Whoa! Whoa! Oh, come on, horse boy! <laughs> here, here, stop bucking! Here! Oh! Look, horse, for two cents, I'd sell you for dog meat. <laughs> On second thought, I think I'll keep you myself. This... Yeah, meat ration looked pretty serious. <laughs> Start to say gas ration. I guess it's the kind of meat I eat. <laughs> now see if you can behave while I go into the Bon Bon department store. Hello, Dead Eye. Hello, Buckshot. Gosh, Dead Eye, you look like a real dude today. Yeah, how you like my new shirt? I just got it. Oh, it's a beautiful shirt. What yeah. kind of material is that? Silk? Nope. Cotton? Nope. Well, if it ain't silk and it ain't cotton, what is it? Linoleum. <laughs> hey, what are you doing in this department store? Well, I'm helping out during the Christmas rush. Business must be good. The owner just called me up to take the gold to the bank. Well, Dead Eye, it's after three o'clock. How are you going to get into the bank? Now, she ought to know better than that. <laughs> what was that? Oh, just the manager making a cheerful refund. Yeah. <laughs> Say, the gold ain't been 
didn't count it yet, did I? Why don't you look around the store? Maybe you see something you'd like to give somebody for Christmas. That's a good idea. I think I'll give a nightgown to the one I love. Oh, did I? You catch your death of cold in a nightgown. <laughs> Over my long underwear? So here's something you'll like, a ten-gallon hat. Nope, give me a four-gallon hat. I got an A head. <laughs> Hey, gal, where's the perfumey counter? Well, with you in the store, did I? It's kind of hard to say. Yeah. Howdy, did I? Hello there, Seagram Nose. <laughs> well, uh, did I? Here's $10,000 in yellow gold. I want you to take it to the bank. Say, you've been hanging around that two-gun Burt Plumer lately, haven't you? Yeah. What do you mean, did I? You wouldn't be letting me take this gold so the two-gun could hold me up and make the bank liable, would you? If you say that again, I'll make you eat your words. Gonna make me eat my words, yeah. huh? Okay. T-bone steak, lamb chops, and veal. <laughs> Lorene Tuttle, who later appeared with Ozzie and Harriet on their own show, also starred on The Red Skelton Show. I understand that he put on a after show for the studio audience when the regular radio broadcast Yes, he broadcast did. At least time. an hour, sometimes an hour and a half. He got steamed up, you know, and the half-hour show didn't really satisfy him, so he kept the audience there afterwards. When we, when we were on Fridays, we would have a preview on Thursday night, and he would go on and on and on and on. We'd have to stay there, because we'd have to wait till this after-show was over before we could listen to the record. And we would listen to the record to see how things went. And then we came back the next day and did the live show. Always live. I don't think I ever went on that we weren't live. Yeah. Did you have to do two shows then, didn't you, for the West Coast and the East Coast? No, in that case, no, because it was taken off on transcription and replayed. Many times we would do a five o'clock show, mm -hmm. and that would be taken off on transcription and played later. But in the old days, we did do two shows. Mm -hmm. We would have an afternoon show, a 5 o'clock show, or a 5.30 show, and then come back and do it again at 8.30. Mm -hmm. But those were a lot of audience shows, too. We would wear street clothes in the afternoon and come back and wear evening clothes. Oh, you really oh would yes, it was a very glamorous two business. Two uh -huh. different audiences. Mm -hmm. huh? Over at the Huntington Hartford, when I go backstage there, I think of the many radio shows we used to do there. The Lux radio sh show went mm -hmm. on there. And lots of radio shows went on because they were audience shows. That's why I felt that radio was not just a microphone working kind of mm -hmm. show. It was audience participation. And For three seasons, the group's popularity soared as they became some of the most loved entertainers in America. But then Skelton got divorced. It meant that he lost his married deferment and could now be drafted. The Army called for him in 1944. MGM and Raleigh Cigarettes tried to get a deferment to no avail. Skelton's last radio program was on D-Day, June 6, 1944. The next day, he was formally inducted as a private. Without its star, the program was discontinued. Skelton's producer John Goodell and Ozzie Harriet both agreed. It was time for the Nelsons to launch their own radio show. It would come to be known as The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet.
Prior to our doing our television show, or first on radio, my writing had been mostly confined to doing special material duet things for Harriet and me, and also some special songs that I'd written. At the time I wrote this, this was 1940, and they were just starting to draft guys into the army. And uh, so uh, in those days, it, uh, there were not very many bands with changing personnel. The personnel of your band would remain the same for maybe five or six years with just one or two changes. So that uh, when it came time for a guy to leave the band, uh, which happened when they were drafted, you were stuck with an arrangement that called for particular talents of a particular guy, plus he had to fit the suit and the rest of those things. <laughs> summer of 1944, William Morris sold what became The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet to the International Silver Company. The program would debut on CBS in the fall. Ozzie was now 38, Harriet 35. It was the last summer they toured with their band. Ozzie's younger brother Don was now a member. At the end of the summer, the band flew west but Ozzie and Harriet went to New York to meet the sponsors and discuss program activity. Young and Rubicon handled International Silver's account. They were to be billed as America's favorite young couple. Ozzie's big mouth would get him in trouble each week. Harriet would gently try to guide him back to reason, but once Ozzie's mind was made up, nothing could dissuade him. The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet debuted on Sunday, October 8, 1944 at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. It was the couple's ninth wedding anniversary. The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet, starring young America's favorite couple, Ozzie Nelson and Harriet Hilliard. <laughs> As we look in at the Nelson household at 1847 Rogers Road, Ozzie and Harriet are at lunch. Their little son, David, is having lunch with them. Come on, Davy, get a move on. We've got half a glass of milk left there. Okay, Mom. Say, I think I'll have another piece of this bread. It's awful good. Uh, will you pass the butter, dear? Okay, it's not butter, though. It's a substitute. Oh, well, then will you pass the margarine? Well, it's not margarine. It's a substitute. A substitute for margarine? Mm-hmm. Read what it says on the jar. Here it is. Crummy sandwich spread. <laughs> Made from guess what with artificial coloring. <laughs> Fine. Finish your milk, David, and for goodness sakes, watch your manners. Gosh, Mommy, you sound like a top sergeant today. You tell me, and I'm getting pretty tired of it, too. David, you're supposed to chew with your mouth closed. I'm sorry, Mom. Daddy, do you know how to chew with your mouth closed? David, a married man even learns to talk that way. <laughs> You want some more vegetables, David? No, thanks. They're good for you. Make you grow up to be a big, strong man. I don't want to grow up, because when people grow up, they get married. Oh, that's silly. You can grow up, but you don't have to get married. Okay, then I'll have some more vegetables. <laughs> now, what happened, David, that made you so sour on marriage? Barbara Jones, the girl that sits in front of me at school. Oh, really? Yeah. She says when she gets married, she's going to have her own home, a bank account, two bicycles, and three pairs of roller skates. Well, do you think that's wrong? Well, sure. I wouldn't want a wife who was out roller skating when she was supposed to be home making fudge for me. <laughs> Come on, David. Finish your lunch. 
Mommy, why'd you marry Daddy? Well, I married your Daddy because I loved him. That's right, and I married Mommy because I loved her. Gee, don't people have the funniest reasons for getting married? <laughs> hey, you'd better hurry up. You're going to be late for school there, young fella. David, drink your milk. Incidentally, Daddy, David's been doing very well in school lately. Oh, well, that's a fine boy, David. Mm-hmm. He only missed one word all week in spelling, and that was a pretty hard one. Yeah, reincarnation. Well, that shouldn't have been so hard, David. What did you do, spell it with only one C? No, he spelled it with two. That's why it was wrong. Oh, I... Uh... <laughs> oh, yes, reincarnation. It's a very interesting subject, though. I remember I wrote a composition on it in school. Will you tell me about it tonight, Daddy? Oh, I'll be glad to, son. In fact, there's a very good book on the subject. As I recall it, let's see. Yeah, it's called The Trip Back by Bartlett Graham. Isn't reincarnation the belief that people return to the earth in some other form? Mm Mm-hmm. Like a cow or a dog or something? Yeah, that's a general idea. In fact, I think that's why cows are so highly respected in some parts of the world where they believe in reincarnation. They must be the cows that give reincarnation milk. (laughs) (laughs) David, I'll bet you bragged all the boys how clever your old man is. How much do you want to bet, Dad? (laughs) You better leave for school pretty soon, honey. Okay. Is that a promise then, Dad? You'll get the book and tell me about it tonight? It's a definite promise. I'll go down and buy the book this afternoon. Now, look, you better hurry to school. You're going to be late. You can get your dessert when you come home. Okay. See you later. Don't forget now, Pop. I hope you can locate that book, because when you make a promise to David, you know, he'll hold you to it. Oh, I'll get it right after lunch. As a matter of fact, it'll be easy. It's quite a well-known book, you know. You're all finished, aren't you, dear? Yeah. I'll call Gloria then. Gloria! Oh, Gloria! Did you call me, Mrs. Nelson? (laughs) Yes, I did, Gloria. We're all finished with lunch. It was very good, too. Oh, thank you. I don't think I want any dessert, Gloria. I have to hurry downtown and see if I can locate a book for David. It's a book on reincarnation. Reincarnation? What's that? Well, reincarnation is just what they call it when things keep coming back in different forms. Oh, they do that all the time at the restaurant where I eat. (laughs) No, Gloria, this is a little different. Reincarnation means the return to Earth in a varied form. Now, you take myself, for instance. I'm a musician now, but I might come back in a few hundred years as a giraffe. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. And you're going to look awful silly playing a saxophone. <laughs> I think Mr. Nelson would be more likely to come back as a tired wolf. Oh, now, take it easy. That sounds more like my boyfriend, Elmo. Elmo? I thought his name was Elmer. It was, but he changed it from Elmer to Elmo. Oh, really? He feels it goes better with his blue serge suit. <laughs> Well, I guess I'd better be going down to the bookstore. Uh, would you like to go with me, darling? No, I don't think so. It... Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, it might be fun. Is there any book you'd like us to get you, Gloria? Yeah, there's nothing like a good book at night if you're troubled with insomnia. Oh, I'm never troubled with insomnia. I just lie down near the edge of the bed, and in a few moments, I fall off. <laughs> I imagine Gloria doesn't have to worry about getting to sleep after all the work she does around here. Not only that, but I've been taking exercises. Oh, really? Oh, yes. I've been doing exercises for several weeks now. I, I can touch my knees without bending the floor. <laughs> Well, 
Hasta mañana is Elmer always says. Oh, Elmer speaks Spanish too, huh? Oh, yes. He used to go out with a Spanish hacienda. <laughs> hacienda, that's a house. That's what he likes them built like. <laughs> It was a more of a difficult situation for us than if we had been playing characters. I know every once in a while, we would have a dream sequence or something where we'd be able to put on a costume or a beard, and it was so much easier to act under those circumstances yeah. because the hardest acting in the world is portraying yourself. Uh, Maya, of course, it was a reasonable character, reasonable extension. We were not fully conscious of this uh, specifically, but uh, we felt it as sort of a part of a burden that we were carrying. And as far as the scripts were concerned, we had to be careful, whereas the scripts had to be a reasonable exaggeration, nevertheless, they always did portray in a general form our thinking on certain things. Several people in a tour that I recently made promoting not only the book, but our new show, Ozzy's mm -hmm. Girls, they said, are you going to change your standards from the adventures of Ozzy and Harriet? And I said, well, I couldn't very well do that because it would be dishonest. Glenn Hall Taylor produced and directed. Billy May conducted the orchestra. Bia Benadera played Gloria. Joel Davis was David Nelson. And John Brown played neighbor Thorny named after David's real-life best friend. CBS programmed the series against the Catholic Hour on NBC in New York. The show debuted with a rating of 7.6. By December of 1945, it rose to 11.8. Ozzy was a guy who never seemed to work. It became a running gag. In truth, he was still a band leader, but he set most episodes at times when the boys were out of school. The program remained in its time slot for three seasons, but never rose above a rating of 13. Then in the fall of 1947, with radio audiences peaking, the show pulled a rating of 15.5. Roughly 14 million people were tuning in. Meanwhile, on Thursday evenings, Roma Wines had recently cut ties with suspense. CBS temporarily moved the series to Fridays at 9.30. On December 26, 1947, Ozzie and Harriet appeared in the final Friday night broadcast. Suspense! Produced, edited, and directed by William Spear. Suspense, radio's outstanding theater of thrills, presents the last of a special series of Friday night performances at this hour. Tonight from Hollywood, we bring you a most unusual broadcast, starring a famous radio couple who have never before appeared in a story of this kind, Mr. Ozzie Nelson and Miss Harriet Hilliard. You are accustomed to hearing our stars in their own comedy show, but tonight... Ozzie and Harriet appear for us as a couple who are driven to the plotting of murder in Too Little to Live On by Robert Richards, a play well calculated to keep you in suspense. I tell you, it doesn't matter now. How do you think anything could matter anymore to me now? 
He should have let me die. That was the best way. That's all that matters to me now is that I want to die. That's all I care about, being dead. I don't know whether we ever thought about it before this morning or not. It might have crossed our minds sometime, one or the other of us, I don't know. But we never talked about it, never. Never before this morning. And then this morning, everything just seemed to come to a head. Every little thing that had happened all those months and years just seemed to pile up at once. It just seemed as though this morning was the last straw. Hi, honey. Hello, darling. Your breakfast is there keeping warm on the back of the stove. I got it for you, but I'm already late with his. That's all right. You better hurry, though. I'm not going to the office today. You're not? He wants me to stick around. His lawyer's coming over sometime today. His lawyer? Yeah, don't you remember? Uh, I guess I forgot. His lawyer's coming over, so I have to stick around the house all day. Couldn't you go over to the office and come back? No, that's not the way he wants it. He says the lawyer's coming, but he doesn't know when. At least that's his story. Well, maybe he really doesn't know. Oh, he knows all right. Not that it matters much. I don't have any appointments today anyway. People around here wouldn't have their teeth fixed if you paid them to. Well, they can't help it if they're poor, Dave. I didn't say they could. I just said they can't afford to go to the dentist. And I'm the dentist they can't afford to go to. I know. Oh, darling, if we could only move to another neighborhood, then at least you could start building a decent practice. Sure, how? With what? I know. With Uncle Ed's money when we get it. At least that's what we've been telling ourselves for the last three years. But couldn't we talk to him? Couldn't we? I likes to see us have it tough. Likes to have us dependent on that money. That's all he lives for, and he'll probably live to be a hundred. We've just got to be patient, Dave. Oh, there he is. He's up. I've got to hurry. I think at least he'd spend enough dough to have some decent tires put on that wheelchair of his so it wouldn't bump around over our heads like a ten-ton truck day and night. Well, I suppose we ought to be thankful he doesn't spend his money. In a way... Have you seen him this morning? Uh-huh. How's he feeling? About the same, I guess. <laughs> he made me bring his lemon juice and water down and heat it up again. Said it wasn't hot enough. Willie almost bit me again. Yeah, that mutt. Well, dog's getting old. I suppose he can't help it. Any more than Uncle Ed. They could both help it. He wants it that way. He gets a kick out of it. Now it's got so we even have to kowtow to a snarling little mutt. He sits there and laughs. We've just got to be patient, Dave. <laughs> One thing, when we get that $30,000, we sure will have earned it. Dave. Yeah? What about the lawyer? What about it? I mean, what do you suppose it means? What should it mean? He's always getting that guy over here every three or four months and going into some kind of a huddle. But why should he want you here? He probably needs us both as witnesses to something. You know, he's been talking an awful lot lately about that orphanage over in Brooklyn. Sure, and last winter all he could talk about was some foundling home for stray dogs down in Pennsylvania. He's just cracking the whip, that's all, to see us jump. Oh, Dave, if he was to change his will now after all we've been through... Oh, don't worry, he won't. Oh, there he goes. He's something for his breakfast. Coming right up, Uncle Ed. Let's see. I hope his eggs are right. Get the coffee off the back of the stove, darling, while I get a cup. Okay. <laughs> Take it easy. It's all right, honey. It's only a cup. I know. It's only... Sometimes it makes me so nervous. I 
Joe's daughter's going crazy. Take it easy, dear. Here, let me get this ready. No. No, I'm all, I'm all right now. There's a pan of milk warming on the stove. Fill this bowl about half full and break up a handful of those little dog biscuits in it. Okay. Sugar, salt, pepper, cream. All right, come on. Open the door for me, will you, darling? Here, I'll carry the tray. No, he likes to have me bring it. What's the difference? Oh, don't ask me, Dave. Oh, the paper for him. Oh, you've got it. Well, I haven't read the paper yet myself. You can read it later. Come on. Here's your breakfast, Uncle Ed. Uh, I'm sorry I was a little late. Uh, Well, set it down, set it down. I heard what you said about the paper, David. If it's getting so, you even begrudge a little thing like that to a helpless invalid. No, I, I, I don't begrudge it, Uncle Ed. Here's your paper. So important for you to read the paper, why don't you subscribe for two of them? I'm afraid the budget in this family won't stand for little luxuries like that. Ah, when I was your age, I had my first thousand dollars in the bank. Well, things were a little different in those days, Uncle Ed. I was a little different. That's what the difference was. All right, set Willie's breakfast down for him, Myra. No, no, not there. Over by his bed where he can get at it. Yes, Uncle Ed. I'm afraid Willie doesn't like me anymore. Here, I'll give it to him. Hey, 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 stop that! Don't you dare strike that dog, David! I wasn't going to hit him. I just wanted him to let go of my sleeve. Poor Willie. Oh. Well, if Meyer would take him out once in a while, he wouldn't feel that way. I'd take him out any time he asked me to, Uncle I forget sometimes. You want to do it without my asking. Well, you can go now. I know you don't want to stay any longer than you have to. Oh, uh, uh, Myra, hand me my glasses uh, on the bureau. Glasses? Uh. Yes, Uncle Ed. Here. Oh, what, Myra, you fool! Oh, Uncle Ed, I'm so sorry. Maybe I can mend them. Of course you can't mend them. They're broken, you idiot. Don't talk to her like that. What's that? I said don't talk to her like that. Dave, please. Oh, I see. Now you're trying to bully me. A helpless old man in a wheelchair. Well, I won't stand for it. Uncle Ed, he didn't mean anything. I made my bargain with you, David, and I intend to keep it, as long as you do. And I've never complained about the care you've given me, although heaven knows it's been a little enough. But don't think for a minute I'll stand for anything like this. I'm sorry, Uncle Ed. Uh, I'm afraid that's scarcely enough. Well, it... it won't happen again. Look, I'll get the glasses fixed. I know a guy that can do it right away. Probably take a week, and in the meantime, I'll be as blind as a bat. And don't expect me to pay for it. No, don't worry. I'll pay for it. You'll have them back tonight. Mm. Oh, this reminds me, David. Be sure that you're here when my lawyer comes today. I'll be here. That's why I stayed home from the office. Uh, Well, that's all for now. Oh, and I I suppose neither of you's taken the trouble lately to find out which of my prescriptions need refilling. Oh, yeah, I, I was thinking of that yesterday. Oh, were you? Well, let's do it now. Bismuth's entirely gone. Look, entirely gone. Yeah, yeah, you better get another bottle of iron tonic. Let's see, the drops. Yeah, well, that's all right for now. And the thiocyanate. You better get that refilled, too, while you're at it. Take the bottle of the bismuth, too. I'll go right away, Uncle Ed. Yes, you do, and you come right back. You know that I must have my bismuth not later than 20 minutes after each meal. Yes, I, I know. Come on, Myra. Oh, take it easy, dear. It's all right. It's all right now. Oh, Dave, I've tried. I've tried, but I can't go on like this. Oh, take it easy, honey. 
It won't be much longer. Oh, we've been saying that for three years. We're like prisoners. We can't go out of the house together because somebody oh, has to be honey. with him. We can't have friends in because they disturb him. Oh, Dave, we can't even have a baby. I could kill him. Sometimes I could kill him. Dave, don't. I mean it. When I see what he's doing to you, when I see him making a slave out of you, making a nervous wreck out of you so you can't even call your soul your own. No, no, Dave, please. Please, I'm all right now. Sure, we made a bargain, like he said. But not this kind of a bargain. Oh, darling, I know it's just as bad for you as it is for me. It's just that I'm here alone with him all day. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have let myself go that way. Oh, I hate myself, Meyer. If I'd known I was going to be like this. It's not your fault, darling. I knew what we were doing. I'm not even a man anymore. I let him sit there and say things to my wife that a man wouldn't take from anybody on earth. But I take it. I take it and smile. Oh, Dave, Dave, it's not your fault. Oh, it is my fault. If I was any kind of a man, I'd do something about it. Well, there's nothing to do, don't you see? I should never have acted like this. We've just got to be patient and wait, that's all. Wait. Maybe another three years, maybe ten more years. Oh, honey. Oh, what's the use of kidding ourselves? How do we know how long it's going to take him to die? Sometimes I don't even think he's sick. Sometimes I think he's just putting it on to make us wait on him. But the doctor says... He could fool the doctors. It's been done. Even when he does die, how can we ever be sure? Dave, you don't... I think he's just that mean, Yes. Snatch the money away at the last minute and die laughing at us. But he said it was a bargain. He said he You promised. think promises mean anything to him? Well, could he do it without, I mean, with... Do what? Change his will? Well, sure he could do it any time he wanted to. Without even telling us? Nothing that says he has to tell us anything. Oh, Dave, the lawyer. Yeah, I know. Today. Why does he have to come today of all days? After I broke his glasses and you hollered at him? Yeah, I know. Could he do it just like that today? Sure. If he do it today, he could do it any time. We'd never know until he told us. Oh, he wouldn't. He couldn't. Why not? He might just as well do it anyway. He'll hold it over us in the last minute like he did just now. So we probably die of heart failure before he does. But you said just a few minutes ago... I know. That... I've been kidding myself for three years, but not anymore. Oh, Dave, what are we going to do? What can we do? I don't know, Myra. I don't know. Yet? If, if only something could happen. Like what? Nothing's going to happen, Myra. Unless we make it happen. Dave, we couldn't. Well, we can't go on like this either. We can tell him to and go. And throw away three years of our lives? The three years we've rotted in this dump? We've earned that money. $10,000 a year isn't half enough for what we've gone Dave, through. Dave, I don't care about well, the money. Well, I do. Anybody but him, I'd feel different. I don't have any more feeling about him than I do that dog up there. Dave, you don't really mean... I don't know what I mean. Listen, uh, I've got to go over to the drugstore and get his medicine. All right. Hurry back. I'll only be a minute. It's just across the street. Dave. Yeah? What about the lawyer? What about him? What if he should come now? Yeah, well... Keep an eye out for him. But what if he comes? I don't know. I've got to think. Stall him off. Tell him something. What should I tell him? Tell him the old man... The next week, CBS moved The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet to this suspense time slot. In February of 1948, the show's rating reached 16.6. Both International Silver and Young and Rubicum saw an opportunity. They moved the show to NBC. 
The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet would now air Sundays at 6.30 p.m. and serve as the lead-in for the Jack Benny program. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Take him easy. Hey, how's the old gentleman this morning? Oh, he's, he's all right. Well, I'm glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. He's a fine old man. This is Ali Silva of Fireside Mystery Theater, coming to you at a time of great peril. Some fiend has tied me to a rope dangling just a few feet over a giant boiling cauldron of... What is that? It smells like gazpacho? But gazpacho is supposed to be served cold. Oh, whatever. Why would I put myself in such a situation? Because we at Fireside Mystery Theater will do whatever it takes to create exciting audio drama. Enjoy our acclaimed anthology series of original eerie radio plays, performed before a live audience by a full cast of magnificent actors and a crew of amazing musicians and technicians. Just go to FiresideMysteryTheater.com for show listings, info about us, and links to our podcast. Take a listen for yourself today and find out why our podcast is among one of the top audio drama series out there. Oh, brother. That villain is cutting my rope. Well, that must mean my time is up. So tune in and subscribe to the Fireside Mystery Theater podcast. Oh, and be sure to mind the shadow. A friend the other day said to me, and I want to pass it on to you. You know, they said, The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet was far different than all other family-type shows. Lucy and Desi was totally unreal. Leave it to Beaver. Episode after episode showed kids being scolded for, for things that all kids must experience if they are to grow up normal and well-adjusted. Polite kids being told by parents that they must ask permission first, then being told that time after time, No, can't do it. That is early frustration. The Nelson kids, David and Ricky, were free to make choices and take chances. The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet debuted on NBC on Sunday, October 3rd, 1948. Because they were now serving as lead-in for Jack Benny for the Eastern and Central markets, the show's rating was expected to jump. But while Benny's rating that month was 20.3, Ozzie and Harriet's was just 8.9. The writing was good and the shows were enjoyable to listen to. But even during its fifth season, something was still missing. Then on December 5th, Bing Crosby and his son Lindsay were guest stars on the show. The first show we were on was a guest appearance by Bing Crosby. And he had his son on Lindsay. And that was kind of the storyline where they came over and sang Christmas carols. We played tennis with the Crosby kids. So we said, well, if Lindsay can be on, can we be on too? David and Ricky wanted to appear as themselves and felt they were old enough to handle the pressures of network radio. If Lindsay Crosby could handle it, why couldn't David and Ricky? It was sound logic that Ozzie and Harriet couldn't argue with. They allowed David and Ricky to play themselves in the dress rehearsal. But Tommy Bernard and Henry Blair still played the Nelson children for the live broadcast. Yeah, I'll get it. Harriet Bing Crosby. Oh, I, I'm just 
awfully glad you could come, Mr. Crosby. Or should I could you call you Bing? Oh, do. By all means. I'll call you Harriet. And uh, I take it you're Admiral Nelson? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we were having a little joke with Lenny. He's a great little guy. Uh, by the way, where is he? Oh, we met your two Pinkerton men down the road a piece there, and Lenny joined up with them. They got something going in the vacant lot. Oh, by the way, a funny thing happened to me on the way to your house. Uh, pardon me, Bing. <laughs> you get that, Harriet? That smooth, professional way he, he slides into a gag. Uh, <laughs> What happened, Bing? Uh, well, uh, you I see, was, Harriet, was... that's what you call a straight line. <laughs> I kind of throw that out to him, and then he punches over the kicker. <laughs> that's marvelous. Uh... <laughs> what happened, Bing? No, no, Oz, it wasn't a gag. A cute little Bobby Soxer walked up to me and said, uh, Bing Crosby? I said, yes, and she said, mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, oh, knows he gets a little uh, he gets a little horse whinny into the lap. Yeah. <laughs> it was a filly, you know. Oh. <laughs> that was Emmy Lou, I guess. Let me take your overcoat, Bing. Thanks. But I better warn you, uh, afraid I'm not properly dressed. Don't be silly, Bing. Feel at home here. Look at me. Don't feel shy about your clothes. Off with that overcoat. Let's have a look at that sloppy shirt and those baggy pants. What? That isn't exactly what I'm worried about, Oz. Look, I'm wearing a tuxedo. Tuxedo? Mm-hmm. Well, Bing, I always... Uh, it's quite a story. I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with Lake Tehachapuku. Oh, Lake Tehachapuku. Well, sure. Uh, we go up there all the time. What about the lake? I fell in this afternoon. <laughs> I shot a 1,500-pound moose, and I was carrying it across my shoulders. You know, and I stepped on a slippery rock and fell in with all my clothes on. That's how come the tux. A 1,500-pound moose? And you carried him? Well, his back feet were dragging. <laughs> Oh, Lenny, I, I thought you were out playing with the boys. We came in to get a drink of water. Oh, hello, Lenny. Hello, Admiral. Uh, this is Mrs. Nelson, Lenny. How do you do, Your Majesty? <laughs> How are you fellas getting along? Okay, Mom. Well, Pop, I just heard you telling about a big moose you bagged this afternoon. Uh, now, go out and play, son. The older folks are talking. <laughs> Out, out. Tally-ho, boy. Go, boy. Pop, I was with you all afternoon. I didn't see you shoot any moose. Lenny, uh... The only thing you shot was an owl. The only reason you got him, because they can't see in the daytime. <laughs> Lenny, boy. Go out and play now. Here's a nickel, a nice shiny one. Your dad just got in a new shipment. Go ahead now. Hurry <laughs> up, Lenny. Okay, last one's out. Bob Hope. <laughs> Sorry, folks, I... Guess the cat's out of the bag. Oh, you mean about the moose? Oh, forget it, Bing. No, I, I want to confess. Oh, there's no need to confess. We didn't believe you anyway. I, I, I mean... What do you think of the story so far, Thorny? Well, come on, Oz. Don't stop now. What happened next? Relax, Thorny. When I tell a story, I like to take my time. That month, The Adventures of Ozzy and Harriet peaked with a rating of 17, their highest ever. But then, something unimaginable happened. Jack Benny was leaving NBC. So I moved, and I didn't want to leave NBC. I loved NBC. But I had to make some kind of a deal where I could make some money, because here I was getting a terrific salary, and it was all salary. And I couldn't make a deal for a company. Well, I wouldn't care if I got a million dollars a week. That wouldn't do me any good. What good would that be? With income the tax, tax right. Well, sure. Right. So the ones that made me the deal and came right through with it quick was CBS. Then, of course, when NBC realized I was going to go, then they were willing to make the deal. But I didn't want to play 
one against the other, so I merely took CBS. Well, CBS had uh, generally rated NBC at that time, didn't they, with these uh, No, NBC, NBC was, the, yeah, once I got on, but NBC was really the first network. Then when I moved over, a lot of shows moved over. Mm-hmm. So that made really CBS come up on top. Yeah, really I made the million CBS by that move, which I didn't know or didn't think, you know. Benny had organized his activities into a corporation and sold his show to Columbia, saving hundreds of thousands of dollars in tax money. Without Benny's show, The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet lost half their audience in a single month. It left Ozzie, Harriet, and director Glenn Hall Taylor scrambling to come up with a solution. In February, the program's ratings slipped further. And that's how we arrived at February 20, 1949, with an episode called Invitation to Dinner. It was the first time David and Ricky Nelson played themselves. The family dynamic changed immediately, and Ricky's charisma was undeniable from the very beginning. You realize that Tuesday is Washington's birthday? Well, frankly, I hadn't given it much thought. Would you like me to bake a cake or something? Oh, how about a, uh, a cherry tree pie? <laughs> Isn't it funny? Of all the wonderful things Washington did, the first thing that comes to your mind is that silly little fable about his telling the truth. And speaking of the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, the solid silver with beauty that lives forever is international sterling. That's for sure. <laughs> Solid silver with beauty that lives forever is International Sterling. From Hollywood, International Silver Company, creators of International Sterling, presents The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet, starring America's favorite young couple, Ozzie Nelson and Harriet Hilliard. At 1847 Rogers Road, where the Nelsons live, there's usually an air of happiness prevailing. It starts at the big friendly welcome mat on the front porch and continues clear through the big friendly house to the big friendly backyard where Nick, the family setter, lives. He's the big friendly dog with the laugh and his bark. But today there's one face that doesn't fit in with this happy atmosphere. Young David Nelson seems to have something on his mind. What's wrong, David? You've hardly said a word all morning. It's nothing, Mom. Well, there's something bothering you. What is it? It's nothing, really, Mom. David. Harriet, please. You say it's nothing, David. Is that right? That's right, Pop. All right, if it's nothing, it's nothing. We'll just forget it. It's here in the paper. It is something. Oh? I kind of thought you'd like to tell us about it. What seems to be the trouble? It's... Nothing, Pop. <laughs> uh, David, we're not trying to pry into your personal affairs, but why don't you just tell us about it? Maybe we can help you. It's kind of silly, I guess. See, Grace Johnson invited me to her party Friday night, and I told her I'd come. Well, that sounds very nice. Yeah, but our team is supposed to play basketball Friday night, so I gotta tell her I can't make it. Is David a dope, Pop? Ricky, read your comic book. In other words, David, you mean you forgot you had to play basketball, and that's why you accepted her invitation? 
Oh, no, I remembered it. You mean when you accepted Grace's invitation, you knew you couldn't make it? That it was the same night as your basketball game? Yes, sir. Now is David a dope pop? Ricky. <laughs> well, then why did you accept it, David? Well, golly, Mom, she seemed so excited about the party. I just didn't have the heart to disappoint her. Well, I realize how you must have felt, David, but you're going to have to tell her sometime. Now it'll be a bigger disappointment. You find it's much better to tell people the truth right off. Otherwise, you'll wind up in an embarrassing situation for everybody. Are they going to have ice cream at the party? Oh, sure, gallons of it. That's another thing, Pop. I'd feel awful silly if I turned on the party and then the basketball game was called off. Do you think that's possible? Never called one off yet. Oh, Rick, you keep quiet. Do you think it may be called off, David? Well, I don't know. There's always a chance. Lots of things could happen. Like what? Oh, suppose the captain of the other team gets the measles. That sounds to me like a pretty remote possibility. Maybe not, Pop. A couple of weeks ago, we were supposed to take an arithmetic test, and the teacher got the appendicitis. Well, that was just a rare coincidence. I think the safest thing for you to do is call Grace on the phone and tell her you can't make it. Maybe I could go to the party first and then play basketball. I think you'd be too full of ice cream and cake to play much of a game. He could be the basketball. (laughs) I guess I'll just think it over. Well, it's your problem, David. But you know the old proverb, never put off until tomorrow what you can do today. Procrastination is the thief of time. Oh. Are you going to say something, Harry? Yes, did you go downtown and pay the gas bill yesterday? You said you would. Well, I'm I'm glad you mentioned that, Harriet. Now, here is a perfect example of the point I'm trying to make, David. Your mother asked me to pay the gas bill yesterday, and instead of putting it off until tomorrow, I'm going down and pay it today. (laughs) Hello? Just a minute, please. Hey, Mom, telephone. Who is it, dear? Mrs. Jones. Which Mrs. Jones? Which Mrs. Jones are you, Mrs. Jones? Never mind, Ricky. (laughs) Hello? Hello, Harriet. This is Pamela. You haven't forgotten you're having dinner with us tonight, have you? Oh, no, Pamela. I'm glad you called, though. I'm not sure I know how to get out to your house. Oh, well, that's why I phoned. Have you got a pencil? Mm Mm-hmm, right here. Well, first of all, you come straight out Baldwin Boulevard. Um... Now, now, wait till I get my directions straight. I can never remember east from west or north from south. Now, when I'm facing the radio, the wing chair is east. Uh, you come towards the Davenport, that's north, north on Baldwin Boulevard, until you get to the corner where Castle Road crosses. And when you get there, have your husband slow down. The shop on the corner has a hat in the window that's just perfect for you. You'll love it. Good, I could use a new hat. We go out, Baldwin, and turn at the cute hat. That's right, yes. You turn left, and then you'll be on Castle Road. Then you turn... Oh, no, 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 no. Let me face the radio again. Uh, you turn at the wing chair. That's east. East. East on Castle to Oak Street. And as you make the turn, you'll notice a little dress shop on the corner. Should I have Ozzy slow down again? By all means, dear, that little tap of the dress in the window there is out of this world. <laughs> you turn right. All right. Down Baldwin, turn left at the hat. Down Castle, turn right at the tap of the dress. Yes, I think that's right. Now, 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 wait just a minute. Now, I want to be sure I'm right. Let's see, you come toward the Davenport, you turn to the radio, <laughs> then you head for the bookcase. Oh, it's left, left on Oak. Left? Yes. And you live at 1340 Oak? Yes, that's right. Uh, the numerals on the door will say 134, the O's missing. <laughs> oh, I'm sure we'll find it, Pamela. 
About what time should we be there? Oh, about seven. Oh, Harriet, wait a minute, wait, dear. I'll give you the directions over again. Oh, I'm sure I got them straight, Pamela. But I just remembered. I moved all the furniture around yesterday. <laughs> Rick and David, what about you growing up? How would you describe your growing up? There you were, you know, you were stars the whole time you were growing up for like, what, 16 years. That's amazing. How would you describe your childhoods? I think it was fairly normal. I mean, to us, it was normal because it was the only child that we knew, really. But yeah. we always went to uh, public schools all the way along right. and had friends outside of show business. So I think we could kind of balance everything off, really. Well, your dad being the producer, director, had control of the show. And I think it probably would have been different or a little strange had we been child actors, quote, he arranged the shooting schedule so we could have football practice and whatever we were doing. So it wasn't it was like control. we missed something to become stars or something like that. It, it, it would have been tough if we, if we were growing up in Nebraska and had a television show there. But being in Hollywood, so many of the kids are either involved with the show business families or their parents are behind the scenes. And it was fairly normal. Yeah, yeah, the boys downtown. Oh, yeah, once in a while. Oh, I ran into Dick the other day. Oh, swell. Who is, uh, how is he? <laughs> oh, he's doing fine. Says he sees Tom occasionally. Oh, yes. Good old Tom. Yeah. Uh, other than that, nothing new. No, same old grind. How's the wife? Oh, she's fine. And it's my wife's fine. Oh, Say, uh, you never did come over for that fried chicken dinner. Oh, that's your fault. You didn't invite us. Oh, I didn't? Well, we'll remedy that right now. How about tonight? Oh, no, 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 no. Not tonight. I mean, your wife will want to Oh, don't be silly. We always have plenty to eat, and the wife loves to cook. Yeah, I know, but I, no I don't believe in... No excuses. Shall we say about 7 o'clock? Oh, well, that's awfully nice of you, but really, we could. Oh, because... no. Oh, here's my butt. Well, we'll see you at 7. Uh, just a minute. This is very embarrassing, but to be honest with you, I'm afraid I don't remember your, uh, your address. Uh, where are you living now? Same old place. <laughs> It's right in the phone book. We'll see you at seven. <laughs> well, looks like you're invited out to dinner tonight, Oz. He seems like a nice fellow. Thorny, I know you won't believe this, but I can't seem to place the guy. His face is so darn familiar, but I can't remember his name for some reason. Well, how can that be, Oz? You were carrying on such a brilliant conversation. <laughs> I don't know where we know him from. He mentioned something about bowling, didn't he? Yeah, I think he did. But he also called you champ, so I'm sure he's never seen you ball. <laughs> I hope Harriet remembers him. She probably will. She has a wonderful memory for names, thank goodness. Well, that's all you're worried about, Oz. I know his name. You do? Well, then why didn't you tell me? You didn't ask me. That'd be ridiculous. I was dying to worry about it. How did you know his name? You told me. I told you? Well, sure, you said very distinctly, Mr. Thornberry, meet Mr. Rush, Rush, Rush. Uh, Harriet In the kitchen Oh, I have news for you We're going out to dinner tonight Well, good for you I didn't think you'd remember it In fact, I don't remember telling you about it Well, how could you tell me about it? We weren't invited until about an hour ago And I was the one who accepted the invitation You mean you met Pamela downtown? Pamela? Who's Pamela? Pamela Jones from the PTA. I don't even know her. 
Oh, of course you do. She was at the Randolph's New Year's Eve party. Funny, I don't remember. You sure I met her? Well, believe me, dear, you met her. I'm sure you did. Well, I wonder why I don't remember her. Don't you remember that tall, beautiful, red-haired girl with a strapless evening gown? Oh, oh yes, of course. <laughs> well, well, Pamela was sitting right next to her. <laughs> wonder I didn't remember it. How did she get into the conversation anyway? I just told you. We're going over there for dinner tonight. She invited us about two weeks ago. Uh, Harriet, I think we've got one of those little problems that make life so interesting. What did you do? I accepted another invitation for us. For dinner tonight? Yeah. Well, when was this? It was just about an hour ago. Oh, that's a shame. After all, what kind of an invitation is that at the last minute? Probably somebody else couldn't show up. Well, Harriet, I don't think that's a very nice way to talk about a good friend of mine. <laughs> but, but it's such a strange thing to do. I mean, at the last minute like that. Who was it? Uh, you know, that, uh, that fellow we know from the bowling club. Oh, what's his name? You don't know his name? Oh, sure. Uh, that is... I think I'd know it if I heard it. His face was very familiar. Well, let me get this straight now. You accepted a dinner invitation for tonight, and you don't even know the man's name? Oh, frankly, Harriet, I was counting on you. You're always so good at remembering names. What does he look like? Oh, he's about uh, average height, average weight, a very pleasant average face. Does that sound like anybody we know? It sounds like everybody we know. <laughs> Where did you say we know him from? The, the bowling club. I'm sure of that much because he said so. Gee, I wish you'd think a little because I know you know him. Kind of a disappointment, dear. I was counting on you. But I never go to your bowling club. Well, sure you do. You were over there ladies' night, the, the big tournament a, a few weeks ago, wasn't it? That was last 4th of July. <laughs> really? Gee, I, I was sure it was Labor Day. Well, maybe you can think of it while I'm making the sandwiches. What sandwiches? The ones you always eat before we go out to dinner. Oh, don't bother. What a dreadful mess. Here we are with two dinner dates, and one of them we don't even know who the people are. Are you sure you don't want the sandwiches? I have them practically made. No, no, thanks. I'm so worried I've completely lost my appetite. What kind of sandwiches? <laughs> Bacon and tomato and whole wheat with Thousand Island dressing? Well, as long as you've gone to all the trouble, I'll just have one or two and, and a glass of milk. <laughs> I wish I could remember who this guy is. His face is so darn familiar. Well, why in the world didn't you just tell a man you couldn't remember his name? There's no crime in that. Harriet, you know very well you can't do a thing like that. Hurt a person's feelings? It's just like I was telling David this morning. It's always better to come right out... David's was an entirely different case. <laughs> Come on, Harriet, help me with this, will you? Now try and remember. A man about average height, average weight. Guys, now there's a situation. I bet there's nothing that beats it for confusion. Unless... Oh, wait a minute. 
I forgot about the subject of today's prices. Now, that's something that makes your head spin. But there is one exception to that, a really glorious exception. And that's the price of world-famous international sterling. This loveliest of solid silvers, this solid silver with beauty that lives forever, costs just exactly what it did five years ago. Other leading silver people have raised their prices, but not international sterling. The international sterling pattern of your choice is the same substantial weight, the same superb quality, yet it costs no more than in 1944. So by getting eight place settings in international sterling's lovely prelude pattern, rather than some other sterling, you save about $20, enough to buy eight additional teaspoons. And remember, this is international sterling. You can own nothing more beautiful. So visit your international sterling dealer tomorrow. Spend your dollars in the way that will reward you most richly by choosing international sterling. See that man making his way laboriously up the street? That man is Ozzie Nelson, a man with a problem. Peterson. Wilson. Benson. Yes, Nelson! Nelson. <laughs> oh, oh, hello, Emily. Mind if I walk up Roger's road with you? No, no, just uh, help yourself. Simpson? Carson? Beg your pardon? I'm trying to think of a man's name. Oh. William Johnson. William Johnson. William Johnson. Yes, that sounds familiar. Of course, that's my father's name. It's <laughs> terrible. Who is this man you can't think of? He's a, a good friend of mine. I bumped into him downtown. Well, maybe I can help you. What's his name? Oh, it's... That's what I've forgotten. Have you tried scratching your head? Yes, I, I tried that. It just made a lot of noise in my ears. Got a lot of grease on my hands. I got tried every way I've ever heard of. I even stood on my head in the corner. That, that's supposed to help. But no names came to your mind? Only the ones Mrs. Nelson called me for getting footprints on the wallpaper. <laughs> I wish I could help you, Mr. Nelson. Have you tried the psychology of association? You associate what you're trying to remember with some other thing and try and connect the two. Well, I... I met him in the bowling alley. The bowling alley. Try and picture the bowling alley in your mind. Bowling alley. Yes, I can see it. Now try and picture the man's face. His face. Yes, I, I see it. He's got a hole in his head. No, that's a bowling ball. <laughs> picture his face, Mr. Nelson. His face. The bowling alley. The bowling alley. His face. 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 The bowling alley. Have you got the picture? I think I've got it. His face. The bowling alley. His face. The bowling alley. What's his name? Al Bowling Face. You'd better start getting ready. We have to leave pretty soon. I wish you wouldn't do that, Harriet. You just disturbed my whole train of thought. And this guy's name right on the tip of my tongue. Oh, I'm sorry, dear. I thought you'd given up. Oh, I can't give up. I've got to think of it somehow. Emmy uh, Lou just reminded me of something. The Association of Ideas. I'm working on that now. Well, don't forget we're supposed to be at Tamil's at 7 o'clock. This much I'm sure of. It must be a very average name. Why do you say that? 
Well, if it were an unusual, difficult name, I'd concentrate on it and remember it by association of ideas. I don't think I'd count on that too much. Well, you know it's true. You take George Trout down the block. Trout is a pretty unusual name, but it's easy to remember by the process of association. All you have to do is think of fish, and you've got it. Whenever I see George, I immediately think of fish, and right away I know his name. Ozzy, I was there the day you said, hello, Mr. Mackerel. <laughs> I don't remember any such thing. Fine, to think of a man's name, the least you can do is help me. It's as much your fault as it is mine. My fault? How do you figure that? Well, you know how I depend on you to remember things for me. Your memory is so fine. That's why my memory isn't too good anymore. Well, now, how does that follow? Well, before we were married, I had a wonderful memory. But after we got married, I, I figured your memory was so good, I, I wouldn't need mine anymore, so I let it deteriorate. I don't see how I can be of any help. You haven't given me anything to go on. It's not my fault. He just happens to be about average height and, and average weight. Sort of an average-looking fellow. Why don't you start to get dressed? Maybe you'll think of it later on. Seems so unfair. Somewhere in this town, an average man and his wife are expecting us for dinner. I just picture the poor guy sitting there wondering. He says to his wife, what happened to us? Looks over at her and he shrugs his shoulders. She's a medium build and about average height. <laughs> Does that help you any, the description of her? How do you know what she looks like? Well, it follows, doesn't it, that an average man with an average name would be married to an, an average girl? Shame. There they sit in their average little home. With their one and a half children. <laughs> one and a half. That's the average family, one and a half children. <laughs> Wait a minute, I remember something else. He mentioned two friends, uh, uh, Tom and Dick. What happened to Harry? <laughs> oh, he's back in again. Uh, no, that's... <laughs> See, this is terrible. An average man and his average wife. Sitting, waiting somewhere. The average food growing cold on their average table. Mary, no! God, let like, go! I simply don't understand it. Of course, the sound is coming from the basement. It's all right, I've got you, Mr. Adam. No, no. Show me what? Gotta get away from those eyes! Get away! Get away! George, get away. no! Are you attracted to the dark? Fascinated by the dramatic? With a side of gruesome and a dash of poetic justice? If your happy place is a gloomy room at midnight, then you should be listening to the podcast, Twelve Chimes It's Midnight. Please join us, won't you, for plays of mystery, horror, and suspense. Find us and subscribe wherever you procure your podcasts. 
And remember, at midnight, anything. It's my pleasure at this time to introduce to you the West Coast editor of Radio Mirror Magazine, Miss Ann Daggett. Thank you. Radio Mirror Magazine has just completed a nationwide popularity poll of its readers. It is my privilege to present this scroll to the couple voted the best husband and wife team on the air. Congratulations, Ozzy and Harriet. I met the Nelsons around 1938 or 39, and it wasn't until the early 50s that I became professionally involved with the Nelson family on their network radio show and then on the television series. And I started on the fourth TV show in an episode called David's First Tuxedo or something like that. And although it was all about David getting a first tuxedo when I was the clerk in the shop, <laughs> Ricky had all the funny lines, and boy, did he deliver them well. You know, when I uh, look at the uh, Ozzie and Harriet show every day on the Disney Channel, I'm reminded of how well that little kid performed. He had a wonderful sense of comedy timing, and his facial expressions were always just right. Wonderful sense of humor. In fact, uh, I remember there were times that I could barely get my lines out without spoiling a scene from laughing at one of Rick's shenanigans, where he might be making a funny face at me or doing something crazy with a hamburger and a malt shop scene. And once we got laughing, why, it was a long time before we could really get our act together. We just couldn't look at each other, you know, and before we'd start breaking up. Being a part of that show, while at the same time having such close contact with the Nelson family, is truly a segment of my life that I will always treasure. After years of playing late into the evening, Ozzie was still a night owl in 1949. He'd ordinarily work with his secretary from about 1 p.m. to 5.30. Story meetings were held on Monday evenings at the Nelson home. All contributing writers would pen a script based on the agreed story outline. Ozzie would blend them together into a master, which was due at the radio station Friday morning. Both David and Ricky had natural comedic timing and added to the cadence of their final dialogue. With David and Ricky playing themselves, the show picked up roughly a million listeners in March, and the family's genuine love was coming through. Fittingly, the March 13, 1949 episode was about income tax. Total tax and item two above. Attach original forms W-2. Hmm. Do you want to go downtown with me? Hmm? No, no, thanks. I want to finish this income tax. I may be a little late. I promised Louise Adams I'd stop by and see her new silver. She's pretty proud of that, isn't she? Why not? The solid silver with beauty that lives forever is international sterling. 
solid silver with beauty that lives forever is International Sterling. From Hollywood, International Silver Company, creators of International Sterling, present the amusing transcribed adventures of Ozzie and Harriet, starring America's favorite young couple, Ozzie Nelson and Harriet Hilliard. great land of America, from the rock-bound coast of Maine to the snow-bound coast of California, from the borders of Canada, famous for Canadians, to the borders of Mexico, famous for Mexicans, from town to city, from mountain to valley, from north to south, from east to west, America is a land of tradition. Tradition is the seventh-inning stretch at the ball game, firecrackers on the 4th of July, turkey on Thanksgiving. at 1847 Rogers Road, Ozzie Nelson, American, is completely enmeshed in what is rapidly becoming one of America's most exasperating traditions. It calls for a complete mastery of arithmetic, trigonometry, surveying, semantics, foreign languages, including double talk and jabberwocky, not to mention mind reading, and above all, the control of temper. Total tax and item two above. Attach original forms W-2. Tax. Tax. Oh. Enter your tax from table on page 4 or from line 18 on page 3. Nothing complicated about that. Enter your tax from table on page 4 or from line 18 on page 3. Oh, that's clear enough. Enter your tax from table on page 4 or from line 18 on page 3. Let's read that again. You don't know how to work it, that's all. I do so. Let go of it. Boys, please. Well, yeah, I'm busy. Now, evidently, what they're trying to say is enter your tax from table on page 4 or from line 18 on page 3. Enter your tax from the table. <laughs> I could push the whole works off the table into the wastebasket. Give it back, David. It's mine. For goodness sakes, fellas, how's the government going to know where they stand financially if I don't get my income tax? Can you fix my squirt flower for me, Pop? Your what? My squirt flower. It doesn't work. You squeeze that rubber ball and the water's supposed to squirt out. Now, let me see it. There's probably something stopping up the hose. I squeeze it and nothing happens, see? It worked that time. Let me your handkerchief, David. Gee, I didn't even aim it. Uh, no, that isn't necessary when somebody's looking right into it. You aren't mad at me, are you, Pop? No, but I will be. If you guys don't run along, let me finish this income tax. Okay, Pop. You stay there, Dopey. Oh, David, that's not nice, calling your little brother Dopey. You know what he did? He spent his allowance on that squirt flower, and now he can't go to the movies. I don't want to go anyway. Well, will you guys please finish this outside? Nothing to argue about in the first place. Ricky wanted a squirt gun, so he bought it. You want to go to the show, so go ahead, David. 
Evidently, Ricky doesn't care about it. He's just saying that. I am not wise, guys. Okay, okay, let's drop it, huh? Ricky doesn't want to go to the show, so let's forget it. Let's see where I am here. Pop? What is it, Ricky? Can I have some money so I can go to the show? <laughs> Ricky, why did you buy the squirt flower? Will Thornberry saw it in the trick store window. What's Will Thornberry got to do with you? He liked it so much, he thought I ought to buy it. <laughs> Did he buy one, too? No, he's going to the show with David. <laughs> Ricky, what happened to you is a rather common thing. You see, you were talking to something you didn't want to buy. Happens every day. Fellow starts out to buy a car. Before he gets to the car lot, he meets somebody who tells him about a television set. Before he can buy the television set, he meets somebody who tells him about a wonderful movie camera. Before he can buy the movie camera, he meets somebody who tells him about a car. So he buys the car and he never gets what he really wanted in the first place. He started out to buy a car, Pop. Well, that's not a very good illustration. <laughs> but you've got to learn to be firm, know what you want, and don't let yourself be talked out of it. I want to go to the movies, Pop. Yeah, but you've already spent your money. I to go to the movies, Pop. You can't talk me out of it. Well, I'll tell you what I'll do, Ricky. I'll advance you the money for the movies, and next week I'll deduct it from your allowance. Thanks a lot, Pop. Oh, hello there, fellas. Oh, hello, Harriet. Hi, Mom. What's in the box, Mom? I bought that gray suit at the style shop. You know, the one you said you liked so much? I said I liked it? Yes, don't you remember? No, when was that? Today I made you double park to look at it, and the policeman was coming down the street. They had it in blue and also in gray. In fact, I met Louise Adams in the store, and she tried to talk me into taking the blue one. But I stuck to my gun. Uh, you bought the gray one? Yeah, I kind of liked it better. This is very interesting. Fellas, did you hear what your mother just said? It's just like you and Will Thornberry, Ricky. Your mother had the same experience. Did you buy squirt flower, Mom? <laughs> Of what, No, it wasn't exactly the same, Ricky, but the point's there anyway, if you want to look around for it. Say, haven't you finished your income tax return yet? Oh, uh, just about. I started off with a bang, but the, the questions after name and address kind of slowed me down. <laughs> hey, this is the one that's sticking me now. Enter your tax from table on page four or from line 18 on page three. That's very simple. Do you know what it means? Yeah, of course. Well, I wish you'd explain it to me. I've read it over about ten times. Well, it says right here what to do. Enter your tax from table on page four or from line 18 on page three. Well, yeah, oh, I guess I must be awful stupid or something, but it just sounds confusing to me. Well, they just come right out and tell you what you owe instead of beating around the bush. <laughs> it's a sneaky way of doing things. Here's the table on page four. Now, we just go down the column to the amount you earn. So wait a minute. I see it. Hey, move your head. Here, here's the tax. Oh, sure. You see, you just enter the tax from table on page four. It, it was that stuff about line 18 that was confusing. Well, go ahead. Fill it in. Then you can mail it this afternoon. No, no, not right away. I, I want to look it over a little first and check it with this booklet. What booklet is that? Oh, this one that Thorny gave me. Oh, let me see it. How to Save Money on Your Income Tax, written by 
think that's just his CPA number or a code number. His name is on a template. No kidding, it's a legitimate booklet. It, it's got things in it I didn't know about. You know, if I were a doctor, I could deduct part of my car expenses. But you're not a doctor. No, that's one I have to pass up. Although I could be a doctor. I've got that big first aid kit we bought at the war surplus store. You've never had your tonsils out, have you, Harriet? No, and I don't intend to. And I'll tell you another thing. We're not going to have another mad dash for the post office at midnight, March 15th. Go ahead, sign it, will you? I'll send Ricky with you and make sure it gets mailed. Harriet, believe me, I don't need to take Ricky with me. I'm a full-grown man of normal intelligence. Give me the tax return. I promise to mail it right now. Well, I haven't got the tax return. Well, I thought you picked it up from the table. Just laid it down here a minute ago. It's not under these papers. Well, I can't understand what happened to it. I had it right in my hand. Oh, here it is on the floor. Oh, well, thanks. Uh, Ricky, get your coat. You're going down to the mailbox with Daddy. I like to think that it was successful because people were able to relate to what we were doing. Going back to a thing, we have always made a sincere effort to keep our show honest. For instance, when the boys were small boys, we never had their dog killed by an automobile or things that would embarrass them. We try to keep it within the framework of what a normal family, I think, should do. I would like to think that people's ability to relate to our show and integrity or honesty, which we strive for. I was in church last Sunday. Last Sunday? What was I wearing last Sunday? My blue dress and my blue hat. David, are you sure you like me in gray? Honest, Mom, you look swell. Well, yes, I guess it is nice. Gray's a beautiful color, isn't it? It sure is. It's a lovely color, gray. Look at all the things that are gray. Gray clouds, gray hair, the old gray mare. I wonder if this material will take a blue dye. Hi, Ozzy. Oh, hello, Joe. Hello, Mr. Randolph. Hello, Ricky. Taking your daddy out for a walk? Uh, just mailing my tax return. Beating the old deadline this year. <laughs> Hurts a little, though, doesn't it? No, I don't mind paying my income tax. It's for a good cause. Can I drop it in, Pop? Uh, say, I don't mean to butt into your personal affairs, but are you sure you've taken all the deductions you can? Oh, yeah. In fact, I have a booklet here. I looked everything up. Well, there's a lot of stuff you can deduct that most people don't know about. I let my cousin Herman do my tax. He's a tax man. Really knows his stuff, too. Well, I looked everything over pretty carefully. Can we mail it now, Pop? Yeah, here we go. I'll, I'll lift you up. <laughs> Goodbye, money. And just a minute, Ricky. <laughs> Joe, believe me, I took all the legal deductions possible. I'm sure I can't possibly save another dime. Okay, it's your money. Up you go, Ricky. All the government wants is just what you owe them. And just a minute, Ricky. <laughs> Joe, I can assure you I made the tax out very carefully. I took every possible deduction. Up you go, Ricky. Okay. Okay, if you want to throw your money away. Just a minute, Ricky. I'm getting dizzy. Joe, are you trying to talk me out of mailing this? It won't do you any good, Mr. Randolph. Ricky, let Mr. Randolph talk. Well, I was just trying to help, Oz. But you probably know all the deductions you're allowed. Little things like 
deducting the tax you pay on theater tickets. Naturally, you know you can take off the interest you pay on any financing. Here, I'll let you up, Ricky. Joe, put that boy down. Go on, mail it, Ricky. I'm sorry I bothered you. Joe, let go of him. Pop, you're pulling down my can. David, do you think this blue handkerchief sets it off a little better? Gee, Mom, I don't know. If you think you like the blue suit better, why don't you take this one back? You don't like this color on me, do you? I like it, Mom, but how about you? I'm beginning to think Louise Adams is right. I think I'll take it back and get the blue one. But um, let's not mention it to Daddy, shall we? How come? Well, your father'd say I don't have a mind of my own, and we love Daddy the way he is. We wouldn't want him saying the right thing. <laughs> Yes, sir, Ricky, my boy, it was a lucky thing we met, Mr. Randolph. Really gonna save some money. That's well, Pop. Uh, it might be just as well if you don't mention this to Mother. See, she might not understand. Maybe she'll get mad at me. No, just don't mention it. See, if she asks any questions, I'll do all the answering. Oh, Ozzy. Uh, well, uh, Harriet. <laughs> <laughs> I was just coming in. I was just going out. <laughs> <laughs> is that your suit box? Oh, oh yes, it is. Uh, taking it next door to show Catherine Thornberry? Oh, that's a good idea. Well, goodbye. Uh, so long. See, Ricky, she didn't even ask whether we mailed the income tax or not. That's what I was laughing about. <laughs> well, you run along and play now. I've got to get back and do some more work on it. Well, you'd better go put another belt on, too. You can't go around holding those pants up all day. Where you been, Ricky? It's a secret. What are you talking about? It's a secret between Pop and me. Mom has a secret, too. <coughs> I'll tell you Pop's secret if you tell me Mom's secret. <laughs> well, Mom's taking back the gray suit, and she's getting a blue one. What's Pop's secret? Pop didn't mail his tax letter. Mom and Pop are a lot of fun, boy. Yeah, but they sure have a lot of dopey secrets. Lorene Tuttle played Harriet's mother in a real-life take on her mother, Hazel. I get uh, very impatient with people who think that radio was only those morning soaps in New York or only those soaps and whatever particular shows came from Chicago, and they forget how many really glamorous shows we did from here. You see, I used to do the Frigidaire show, and I did the Academy Award show. I did Lux a lot, but that was always two big stars. It was always a male and a female star. Where on the Frigidaire show or the Academy Award show, I would always look opposite a star. Radio catered to inspirational things. Now, not particularly churchy things. I don't mean that word at all. But I mean radio dramatized lives of great and interesting and meaningful people. Well, I don't see that so much now. About it, a look of grace and simple beauty. So see it at your international Sterling dealers tomorrow. 
Spring Glory, one of the loveliest designs in famous international sterling. The solid silver with beauty that lives forever. You know, folks, I hate to say this because I'm very fond of the Nelson family, but they sure are in an uncertain mood today. Poor Harriet can't make up her mind between a blue suit or a gray, and poor Ozzie. Well, maybe it's lucky you did meet Joe Randolph before he mailed his income tax. At any rate, he's doing it over. Yeah, well, that's a different story. You all finished, Pop? Yeah, I think so. I just want to check this booklet again. I think I've taken all the deductions I can. Common disasters. No, I don't think that applies to us. What are they? Well, they list them here. If an earthquake demolished the house and a flood carried off all our property, and then a hurricane swept away everything else we own, I'd save $200. <laughs> And, of course, there are other things. Charity, the theater ticket you heard Mr. Randolph talk about. Independence. So you and David are deductions. Are we common disasters? <laughs> no, you're dependents. You see, I'm allowed $600 a year for each of you. Then how come I only get 25 cents a week? <laughs> See, the $600 is supposed to cover your food, clothes, education, all your living expenses. Yeah, I think that does it. Now all we have to do is go down to the mailbox and just drop it in. Oh, uh, uh, Harriet. Well, Ozzie. I, I was just going out. <laughs> I was just coming in. <laughs> What's always so funny in the doorway? <laughs> Where were you going? Just uh, down to the... Uh, David, Ricky! Hi, Mom. Did you just get back to... I did, did David. <coughs> oh, Jiminy, David, please be more careful. If I hadn't slammed the door, you'd have given the whole thing away. I'm sorry, Mom. That's all right. Did you get the blue suit, Mom? Yes, I did. And wait till you see it. It's so much nicer than the gray. I'm sure Daddy will like it better, too. Hello? Hello, Harriet. It's Mother. Oh, hello, Mother. Hide this in the closet for me, David. Harriet, what's going on over there? Were you telling somebody to hide in the closet? No, no, Mother. I bought a suit today, and I just asked David to put it away for me. Why, Harriet, that's the reason I called. I was talking to Louise Adams a little while ago. Oh? She said she's been thinking it over, and you were absolutely right about the gray suit. It's much better for you than the blue one. Louise Adams thinks I look better in gray now? I must say I agree with her, Harriet. Personally, I like you much better in gray. Blue just doesn't do anything for you. Are you still there, dear? Yes, Mother. Well, I met Louise at the market, and you know how she is. I've had a craving for pork chop, and Louise tried to talk me into buying lamb chop. But I'm happy to say that I demonstrated the same strength of character you did. You should have fought harder than that. <laughs> dear, how hard can you fight? I wanted pork chop. I set out to buy pork chops, and I was going to get pork chops. Well, good for you, Mother. No lamb chops for me. I got the nicest pound of spare ribs you've ever seen. <laughs> spare ribs? Yes, Catherine Thornberry recommended them. Are you still there, dear? Oh, yes, Mother. I was just wondering whether I could get down to the dress shop and back before dinner. 
All right, now, Ricky, I'm going to pick you up, and you're going to drop this in the mailbox. And nobody's going to stop us this time, right? Hurry up, Pop. Oh, hello, Emmy Lou. Uh, if you'll excuse us for a moment, we're going to drop my tax form in the mailbox. Oh, what a wonderful bit of Americana. There you stand by the mailbox, a patriotic smile on your face. Your heart cries out, take it, Uncle Sam. There's a lot more where that came from. <laughs> no complaining, no grumbling. You're eager and willing to pay your country its due. You're 130 million Americans, Mr. Nelson. Thank you, Emmy Lou. Up you go, Ricky. We've been learning about income tax at school. It's wonderful the way you can save money, if you know how. Just a minute, Ricky. I'll wait here on the fire plug. Emmy Lou, I don't mean to be rude or abrupt, but I'm sure I've taken every possible deduction. Golly, I hope you haven't overdone it, Mr. Nelson. The penalties are pretty severe. They can put you in jail for fraud or fine you $10,000. Now, Pop? Uh, uh, better hold it, Ricky. I think I'll take it home and go over it just once more. <laughs> but those were days where people really got involved in the stuff, and they, and they really came through with That's it, That's right. They? I think the adrenaline uh -huh, was, uh, uh -huh. the excitement, everything was just at a higher pitch. It was just marvelous, a marvelous feeling. I remember not being able to wait to get on. I did a, a character called Emmy Lou on the Ozzie and Harriet mm -hmm. show, and she was a little teenager who lived next door, and I was just a cameo, a spot in it. I came on the first spot after the act break, after the first act break, and I couldn't, I'd just stand in the wings and not be able to wait until it was time for me to get mm -hmm. on. I just loved doing it. Did that for several years. That was a pretty regular spot on there. Yeah, it was every week. Uh -huh. And then mm -hmm. I even did it on television for three years after it went on television. I did mm -hmm. the same character on television, and then I... The breathless it. teenager Emmy Lou was played by radio legend Janet Waldo. Also on Ozzie and Harriet, I was supposed to say... And they were talking about the stock market, and I was supposed to say, Oh, you know, hi, Mr. Nell, are you a bull or a bear? But, you know, I didn't know anything about the stock market, and I don't know what, my vision was good, I don't know what the problem was, but I said, Hi, Mr. Nelson, are you a bull or a deer? And he said, you know, there was this kind of beat, and then he said, I didn't know what I'd said wrong, and he said, uh, Well, Emmy Lou, I'm really a bull, but you can call me deer if you want. <laughs> i got to tell you about an Ozzie and Harriet, you know, I, I did Corliss and Ozzie and Harriet, teenagers, through two pregnancies. And, of course, I worked right up until the final moment because I just couldn't bear to give up playing these roles, which, of course, I adored to well, do. she didn't show until eight and a half months. Well, I really didn't. And also, it was in the era when the girls could wear petticoats. Uh -huh. So as my tummy would get a little bit bigger, I'd wear another petticoat, and then another petticoat, and then another petticoat. But in the last month, I really showed. I really did. And I was doing an Ozzie and Harriet, and always Ozzie would introduce us, you know, before the show. And he would say... Always, he would say, and our little teenager next door is played by Miss Janet Waldo, you know? <laughs> and then I'd come up. Well, this night, he said, and it really hurt my feelings, because I didn't think I showed. He said, and um, our teenager, Emmy Lou, will be played by Mrs. Robert E. Lee. <laughs> and I, oh, he noticed. <laughs> but, you know, because it was a very kind of, they didn't want to say miss anybody in those yeah. days. If you were pregnant, you had to be married. Oh, that's right. I'm a little disappointed in you, Rick. Me? How come? 
Well, this morning after Will Thornberry talked you into buying that squirt flower, I thought I told you to be firm and know your own mind. If I hadn't listened to Mr. Randolph, I wouldn't have to change this tax return. What did I do? Well, if, if you had known your own mind, if you had been firm, you wouldn't have listened to me. You'd have mailed it. Oh, well, it's Ozzy. Uh, uh, Harriet, I was just coming in. Well, come on in. Wait a minute. What's that in your hand? I think I'll stay outside. <laughs> Ozzie, that looks like the envelope your tax return was in. There is a resemblance, isn't there? All right, what happened? And don't tell me the mailbox was closed. Before I could mail it, I met Joe Randolph. And I let him talk me into making some silly deductions. Oh, now, Ozzie, before Now, you... don't try to make excuses for me. I've been wishing wiki-washy. No mind of my own. Thank goodness you're a little different. But, Ozzie... No, I mean it, Harriet. The way you went ahead and bought the suit you wanted. You knew what color you wanted. Instead of listening to a lot of other people, you went right ahead and bought that... Uh, what color was it? Blue. Yes. You, you bought that... No, Harriet, it was gray. Yeah, a, a gray-blue. A little more blue than gray. There's practically no gray at all. In fact, it's all blue. <laughs> Harriet, you said it was gray. Ozzie, there's something I ought to tell you. A minute ago, you said you had no mind of your own, that you were weak and wishy-washy. I said wish and weaky-washy, but the door... <laughs> I took the gray suit back and got the blue one. Well, Harriet, this is wonderful. You're just as big a chump as I... No, no, that isn't right. That... <laughs> You've got your blue suit, but I still haven't mailed my tax returns. I've got the blue suit, but I don't want it. You don't? Harriet, what's the matter? Don't you have a mind of you... No, we've already established that. <laughs> you know, they say that after people have been married a certain number of years, they get to resemble each other. You think that could be happening to us? <laughs> could be. Say, I just thought of a very clever plan. Since it's pretty obvious that we both keep changing our minds, why don't you take my blue suit back and get me the gray one, and I'll mail your income tax return. Well, that's the first sensible thing that's been said in this family all day. Say, come to think of it, we are beginning to resemble each other. You're getting more like me, I'm getting more like you. I keep changing my mind lately, just like you, and you just thought up a wonderful idea. <laughs> Flattery will get you nowhere. <laughs> Here, take this suit box and give me your tax return. It's a deal. Oh, but let me give you a tip. If you see Joe Randolph or Emmy Lou, run the other way. Okay, dear. Well, let me give you a tip. If you see Louise Adams, you run the other way. Well, all right, but you're asking a lot more of me than I'm asking of you. In what way? Well, Louise Adams is a very attractive girl. Beautiful eyes, beautiful figure, and... So what? Well, you just don't run away from things like that. <laughs> Harriet's suit, and there goes Harriet down to the corner to mail Ozzie's tax return. But they'll be back in just a moment with their closing scene. Hey, Mr. Smith, that Nelson family certainly is a bundle of confusion. Yes, but I guess all families are like that at one time or another. Oh, not my family. Not now, anyway. We've just bought a complete service for four of International Sterling in that wonderful spring glory pattern. And my husband and I have never been so solidly in agreement over anything. Hey, great. 
I'll bet I know what it was that won your heart. Mmm, that pattern. Spring Glory is the loveliest over design I've ever seen. It makes me think of April and brides and everything fresh and beautiful. And when we found we could get it at that complete service for four, everything was settled right then and there. A complete service for four for under $100. That's an international sterling wonder, all right. But then, all international sterling prices are wonderful because they haven't gone up. Other leading silver makers have raised their prices, but international sterling brings you the same substantial weight, the same superb quality at 1944 prices. Could anyone ask for anything more? Not me. Especially since I also got a great big beautiful chest with my silver. Big enough to hold 132 pieces. Yes, you really got something when you own international sterling. The solid silver with beauty that lives forever. Ozzie? Yeah, it's me. Oh, good. Let's see my suit. Uh, Harriet, before you open the box... You're sure you wanted the gray suit? Of course. Let me see it. Uh, don't be so anxious. Uh, stand back a minute. No, I, I don't think gray would look good on you. Uh-oh. Well, okay, dear. Let me see my blue suit. You like the blue suit? Yes, dear. Don't feel bad about it. I've been through it myself. You'll like me in blue. It isn't what you think. I didn't bring the blue suit back. Well, I'll be satisfied with the gray one. It isn't gray and it isn't blue. Well, what is it, for goodness sake? Well, I met my friend Danny O'Hara. And St. Patrick's Day is almost here. Well, I've always wanted a green suit. Uh, you're still off, Harriet. Uh, Danny's an orangeman. <laughs> but, but don't get upset. It isn't orange. It, it's more of a, a reddish color. But I wanted the gray suit. Well, maybe we can work something out tomorrow. We'll keep them coming and going. And the first time a gray one comes through the front door, we'll nail it shut. <laughs> On the way home from the dress shop, I stopped to glance in the window of the trick store. And while I was looking in, little Will Thornberry came up. <laughs> I really don't have a mind of my own. I don't get it. Uh, you will. Smell this flower on my lapel. <laughs> Tune in next week to another adventure of Ozzie and Harriet, produced and transcribed in Hollywood, and starring Ozzie Nelson and Harriet Hilliard. And remember, the solid silver with beauty that lives forever is international sterling. Yes, Harriet, the solid silver with beauty that lives forever is international sterling. Appearing in support of Ozzie and Harriet were David and Ricky Nelson, Janet Waldo, Lorene Tuttle, Marvin Miller, and yours truly, Vern Smith. Original music was composed and conducted by Billy May. It's Morgan in 90 Minutes on NBC.
with both Jack Benny and Amos and Andy now on CBS, and Edgar Bergen off the air. NBC's years of Sunday night dominance were over. In April of 1949, program sponsor International Silver moved the adventures of Ozzie and Harriet back to CBS. Ozzie, have you heard the news? News? What news? About International Sterling's beautiful new pattern. No, no, Harriet. We're not supposed to tell about that until later. Can't we tell anything about it? Well, we can say the solid silver with beauty that lives forever is International Sterling. Everybody knows that. The solid silver with beauty that lives forever is International Sterling. From Hollywood, International Silver Company, creators of International Sterling, presents the amusing transcribed adventures of Ozzie and Harriet, starring America's favorite young couple, Ozzie Nelson and Harriet Hilliard. Let's see what's going on at 1847 Rogers Road today. For one thing, I see two young boys walking slowly up the hill toward the Nelson's house. Say, can that possibly be David and Ricky? Hmm, well, it looks like them, and yet they look so dejected. David seems to be limping a little bit. Say, his trouser leg is torn. Golly, I hope it's nothing serious. Does your leg still hurt, David? No, that's okay. Well, you sure fell down hard. I know it. You skidded along the ground and nearly turned a somersault. Okay, I know. Forget about it. Don't get sore at me just because you lost the race. Okay, so I fell down and lost the race. Imagine losing a race to Bobby Hamilton. That's what I say. He can't even run. That's what I say. It wasn't a fair race anyway. You know, it seemed like somebody pushed me just as I got close to the finish line. Yeah, that's it, David. He came back and pushed you. I hope Mom doesn't notice this rip in my pants. Maybe she won't. Does it look bad? It looks like you pulled the zipper down too far. <laughs> Hi, Mom. Hi, Pop. Hello, boy. What's the matter, David? You look as if you lost your best friend. It's nothing, Pop. Oh, David, look at your good pants. How did that happen? It was nothing, Mom. Well, something must have happened. It was nothing important. You're not going to volunteer to tell us, David? Could I volunteer, Pop? <laughs> Ricky, if David doesn't want to answer our questions, that's his business. In this house, everybody's allowed to lead his own life, keep his own counsel, follow the dictates of his own conscience. If David doesn't want to give us any information, that's up to him. Then can I go up to my room now, Pop? Don't you want to tell us what happened to your pants? <laughs> Shall I shine the bright light in his face, dear? All right, I'm sure David has no intention of keeping secrets from his parents. Now, how did you tear your pants, David? It was nothing, Pop. Now can I volunteer, Pop? <laughs> no, Ricky, this is strictly David's affair. David, I wonder if you understand why we want to find out about those pants of yours. We're not crying. I'm asking purely because, as your father, I want to be helpful. 
And I'm asking because as your mother, I'm dying of curiosity. <laughs> now tell us, how did it happen, David? He and Bobby Hamilton were showing off. Uh, wait a minute. Is your name David? Huh? I said, is your name David? No, sir. Well, let David answer for himself, Ricky. What happened, David? We were having a running race and I fell down. You want to know why? You keep quiet, Ricky. I was talking to Pop. Is your name David? Yes. <laughs> well, why were they running the race, Ricky? They were showing off for Betty Jackson. They ran a race and David fell down. Oh, David, don't you think that was a little silly, running a race to impress a girl? What could I do, Mom? Just stand there and look like a sap? You look like one anyway. <laughs> now, Ricky, that's enough. It was a foolish thing to do, though, David. If a girl likes you, you don't have to show off to impress her. Well, Harriet, I hate to interfere when you're trying to make a point to the boys, but I'm afraid I have to disagree on that. Oh, you're in favor of skinning knees and tearing trousers? Well, David's condition is a result of a natural effort to win the girl of his choice. The skinned leg and torn trousers are wounds of his battle. Bobby's challenge in front of Betty was like a slap in the face with a glove. The race was like a duel. Those running feet were like the clanging of swords. The fall was like the blade cutting deep into his heart. Guy, I'm lucky I wasn't killed. <laughs> well, David, take your mother's word for it. You don't have to show off to make a girl like you. David, take your father's word for it. A girl loves to have you show off for it. You forget, Harriet, I'm in a little better position to know what a woman likes. Well, this may be news to you, dear, but I'm a woman. <laughs> Mom's right, Pop. Harriet, you may be a woman, but I'm more qualified to say what a woman likes because I'm a man. Mom's a woman and Pop's a man. We're a neat family, boy. <laughs> yes, it's worked out very well, Ricky. You know, I really shouldn't let you in on the tricks we use to trap you unsuspecting females, Harriet. But in defense of David, he was quite right. Woman, being the weaker sex, is always impressed by physical prowess. That's been going on since the days of the caveman. Is it okay if we go out and play ball, Mom? Certainly, dear, but change your trousers. Hey, wait for me! And if you guys are going to do any batting, go down to the vacant lot. Harriet, don't you remember any of the things I did to impress you when we were kids? Riding the bicycle, no hands. Chinning myself in the schoolyard. I remember you were a very nice boy. Going off the high board up at the lake. I liked you the first time we met. Swinging that big hammer and ringing the bell at Palisades Park. You were always so considerate. Mother was very fond of you, too. I was a regular daredevil and it worked. <laughs> you married me. Wouldn't have married anybody else. What really made you decide on me? Your eyes. My eyes? Yes, I'm sure if I'd refused your proposal, you would have cried. <laughs> Harriet, the boys have gone upstairs. You don't have to try and prove your point anymore. You know as well as I do that girls are attracted by physical prowess. They all fall for that hero stuff. You want to play ball with us, Pop? Hmm? Yeah, it might be fun to play a little baseball, David. Just give me about five minutes and I'll get my old clothes on. Uh, Ozzy. Hmm? Yeah? You know, the more I think it over, you're absolutely right. What are you talking about? There's nothing that impresses a woman quite so much as a man's display of physical prowess. His bulging muscles rippling up and down as he leans forward and throws his weight into the task ahead of him. Uh, Harriet. His legs are weary. His back is breaking. But still he plunges onward, intent on completing his task if it kills uh, Harriet. him. Harriet. Yes, dear? On my word of honor, I'll mow the lawn tomorrow. <laughs> 
At the end of the 1948-49 radio season, the Nelson contract with International Silver was up. They were willing to continue on a year-to-year -year basis, but Ozzy wanted to hold out for a longer deal. They parted on friendly terms. At the same time, Ozzy negotiated a settlement with William Morris and signed with the Music Corporation of America. Wanting to compete with CBS and NBC, the American Broadcasting Company signed the Nelsons to a 10-year, non-cancelable contract on July 14, 1949. Under the sponsorship of Heinz Foods, the Nelson family moved to ABC's newly potent Friday night schedule on October 14th. It guaranteed they'd be paid whether they worked or not, and Ozzy would have total creative control. ABC also had the option to bring the series to TV after 1951. Actually, sometimes it was a little bit difficult for us to uh, know where the separation came mm -hmm. between our own lives and our lives at home. Of course, we also had a great deal of problem not indulging in too much uh, togetherness, so to speak, mm -hmm. taking each other for granted, because it's a tough thing when you're with somebody in the daytime and the evening, too. I remember one time we, I came home and Harriet said to me, do you realize that we're on the set, that you're nice to everybody except me? <laughs> <laughs> and I think that the boys felt a little the same thing, too. Mm -hmm. We leaned over backwards to try to give them as much freedom and, and as much liberty so they wouldn't be under the dominance of their parents you know, during the rest of their lives. Because they were under the dominance of their parent during the time they were on their show, because you were the director of the show. Yes, they had in, to be, in that they? essence. Yeah. And that's a very difficult thing, because as I mentioned in the, the book, <laughs> there's really no way, particularly when Dave and Rick got married, there's no way of directing your son and your daughter-in-law without being a little bit of an irritating force. Sure. You rarely hear anybody say that a director is a nice guy. They'll say, well, he's a so-and-so, but he's a good director. Mm -hmm. Okay, David, throw me one. Keep your eye on the ball, Ricky. Here she comes. Where'd it go, Ricky? Over the fence? Look out for your head, Pop. Oh, I got it. Here you are, David. Let's have another one. Here she comes. Look out, Pop. Keep tipping him. I've got it. This bat is awfully thin. Hi, Ricky. Hi, Mr. Thornberry. Oh, hi, Thorny. Well, it's you, Oz. Well, who'd you think it was? Joe DiMaggio? Oh, really now, Oz. From what I saw, I thought it was some scientist out there trying to contact the moon. <laughs> Here's the bat, Thorny. If you think you can do better, go right ahead. Oh, thank you, Oz. Furthermore, I think I'll pitch. You pitch? Okay, Oz, if you want to make it easier for me. We'll see about that. You want a catch, David? No, we won't need a catcher, Ricky. The ball won't get that far. <laughs> All right, Barney, this is the famous Ozzy Nelson splatter ball. Fire away. Here she comes. I see we have a comedian on the mound. <laughs> I'm sorry, Tony. I had that orange in my pocket and I couldn't resist it. <laughs> hey, Pop, there's Mom over there. Hi, Mom. Hello, dear. Well, Thorny, there's Harriet. Hand me the bat. Why, what's she done to you? <laughs> I just want to show how I can hit the ball. Look, Thorny, just lob me an easy one so I can powder it. Oh, but, Oz, how will I look in front of Harriet if you're belting my pitching all over the lot? Do as I ask you this once, will you please, Thorny? All right, Oz, get up to the plate. We'd have a jolly time if I could get my hands on a cantaloupe. Mom's looking this way, Pop. I know she is. That's why I want to smack a good one. Okay, Thorny, sting one in. 
Strike one. Mom's waving back at you, Pop. I wasn't waving, Ricky. I was... <laughs> you were lucky that time, Thorny. Pitch another. Oh, yes, sir. Strike two. You're coming closer, Pop. <laughs> Why don't you just roll one and see if you can kick it out of here? Don't worry about me, Thorny. Hi, Harriet. Strike three, you're out, Pop. Pitch me another. You have three strikes, Pop. This isn't a regular game, David. Come on, Thorny. Oz, the only way you'll ever get it is if I mail it to you. <laughs> Don't go away, Harriet. Come on, pitch the ball, Thorny. Shall I throw it underhand? You might as well. You do everything else that way. <laughs> Come on, let's see your speedball. Strike four. Uh... Here it comes again, Oz. Strike five. Once more, Oz. Strike six. Let us know when you're out, will you, Pop? Stop showing off, Thorny, and put one over the plate. Hey, wait a minute. I have a better idea. Here, David, you bat for a while, and I'll catch. Okay, here's the mask, Pop. It's pretty small. I guess I can get it on okay. Uh, don't go away, Harriet. Thorny throws him pretty hard, but watch me catch him. All right, let's see your speedball, Thorny. Here we go, Oz. Harriet, are you watching? Look, look out! Are you all right? Gee, I didn't realize you weren't looking when I pitched. Are you okay? I think so. Oh, oh what am I sitting on? Your foot is twisted under you. <laughs> oh, this darn mask is stuck on my face. Here, I'll give you a hand. Let me get a hold of it. Maybe I can help. I think it moved then. No, that was me. You're dragging me. We'd better get that mask off before your face swells up. Yeah. Hey, I don't think I can walk. Oh, my foot hurts every time I move it. I don't wonder. You swung around and sat right down on it. Oh, how am I going to get home? David... Go get that wheelbarrow over there by the fence. We can wheel Daddy home in there. Oh, don't be silly, Harriet. That thing's for hauling junk around. If you could see yourself now, you'd climb right in. I think that's the only way we'll get you home, dear. Okay. Help me into this thing. Uh, I'll clear the way through traffic. Ricky, be quiet, will you? I feel conspicuous enough as it is. Attracting more attention to me. Are you all right, dear? Yes, I'm all right. Of all the humiliating experiences. A mass of twisted steel on my face, being pushed home in a wheelbarrow. Harriet. Yes, dear? If you see anybody we know coming along, I'll close my eyes. You just tell him I'm drunk. <laughs> International Sterling. Creators of the loveliest solid silver... You see, I always felt that we had to work with an all-physical person. We always worked from the... The full person, at least I did, and I know that all of us tried to work that way because that's the only honest way to do it. You have, you have to have a person who lives and breathes and walks and is alive rather than just turning on a voice because you could conjure up, if you really had 
through imagination, anything that you wanted to be. That's why I loved it too, because I could play opposite Jimmy Stewart, or Frederick March, or Cary Grant, or Gary Cooper, or Leslie Howard,、mm. and on the air I could be the most glamorous, gorgeous, tall, black-haired female you've ever seen in your life. Whatever I wished to be, I could be with my voice. That was the thrilling part to me. An enchanting reproduction of old Irish lace. Atop each knife, fork, and spoon is a gleaming crown of silver flowers, fashioned with exquisite beauty. But live radio, of course, very shortly after we were in radio, they came into tape. We did a lot of years of taping,、mm-hmm, you know.、Mm-hmm. But the live radio had a special excitement about it、yeah. that just couldn't be surpassed. Felt like a first night. In fact, my husband Bob Lee one time was doing a Jack Benny show in New York, and he tells me that he forgot about the coast. <laughs> um, and he went to a movie, and he had the scripts.、Oh, he was the—he、no. was not the actor, and you know he was the assistant director, and he was responsible for the scripts. And he was sitting in this movie, you know, thinking. And then he realized five minutes before airtime, and poor Jack Benny and all of the people waiting for him to come with the scripts. Very, very scary, but an exciting time. Ever since man first began to notice woman, about 500 years after woman began to notice man, he sought to win his mate by physical prowess. In the days of the caveman, he would simply choose the woman he wished to have and take her by brute force if necessary. We now show you a typical caveman, just plain Neanderthal Nelson. Una. Yes, Neanderthal. Me Neanderthal want you, Una, for woman. Me Una don't like you Neanderthal. Una, if you don't say you marry me, I'll hit you with this club. I won't marry you. No. Now will you marry me? No. Now will you marry me? Never. All right, I'll marry you. I don't want you now. You're a mess. <laughs> yes, there's no doubt about it. It's the big he-man that makes a hit with the women. Many are the colorful stories that have come out of the turbulent days of the old West. Howdy, stranger. What's your name? Texas. Texas, huh? Where are you from? Arkansas. <laughs> What's your name? Arkansas. Arkansas, huh? Where are you from? Scranton, Pennsylvania. <laughs> What are you doing in front of the schoolmarm's house? If you're thinking of courting her, she's my gal. She's my gal. Well, we'll see about that. We'll settle this right here and now. Stand back to back, take ten paces, turn and shoot. I'll shoot my gun in the air first as the signal to start pacing. Here we go. Stop! You, you got me. You were supposed to shoot your gun in the air. Doggone! I always was a poor shot. <laughs> you didn't fight fair. You're a sick man. Just don't think about it. <laughs> Now I'm going to see the schoolmarm. 
Ain't seed her for a long time. A long time. Hello? Hello? Mighty long time. <laughs> Yes, there's no doubt about it. It's the big He-Man that makes a hit for the women. The most recent demonstration of man's physical prowess for the benefit of a woman happened just today, and the result lies there on the sofa in the form of Ozzie Nelson, the man in the iron mask, the man with the twisted ankle. The consultation seems to be in progress. Thorny, will you stop stroking that imaginary beard of yours and get this bird cage off my face? How about soap? That's the way you get a ring off your finger. Now, that's an idea. We could soak your head in a bucket of soapy water for about ten minutes. I found this hacksaw in the garage. Would this be of any use? Just what we need, Harriet. Hold still, Oz. I'll have this off in a jiffy. <laughs> what a horrible sound that makes. Hold still, dear. I think something is starting to give now. I hope so. Okay, now, just let me have those pliers. Now, she's coming... There we are. Oh, what a relief. Thanks a lot, Thorny. Oh, don't thank me, my boy. You're out now. All I ask is that you go straight. <laughs> We're going now, Pop. We'll see you later. Oh, that's right. Your game's this afternoon, isn't it? Well, lots of good luck, fellas. I hope you win. Thanks, Pop. Thanks, Pop. Here you are, dear. Put your foot in this hot water. Oh, that feels good. Oh, you poor dear. You must be miserable. Here, let me fluff up that pillow. Now, I'll make you a nice, cool eggnog, and I'll get some magazines for you to read. You just take it easy and just rest. Oz, how can you stand to be treated like this? You mind your own business, Thorny. Here are the magazines, dear. Now, I'll go make your eggnog. Don't you hate to be babied? How many eggs do you like, dear? Uh, two, Harriet, please. Well, if you like this sort of thing... I think I'll be on my way. You going home? No, I think I'll go down to the playground and see if I can't get hurt, too. <laughs> Mixer, how do you feel? Like a chump. What are you talking about? Oh, it must have been pretty obvious that I was showing off for you. I thought the way you stopped Thorny's pitch was very clever. Harriet, don't make up excuses for me. I'm not making up excuses for you. And come to think of it, it's pretty wonderful to think we've been married 13 years and you still want to impress me. Yeah, I'll bet I made a great impression. There aren't many women who've had the opportunity to walk down the street, meet friends point to the contents of a wheelbarrow and proudly say, that's my husband. <laughs> Don't be so silly. I'll be back. Where are you going? Over to the market to buy some of those porterhouse steaks you like. Keep your foot in that water. Oh, hello, Mrs. Nelson. I was just going to knock. How's Mr. Nelson? Oh, he's much better. Thanks, Emmy Lou. It must have been awful with that catcher's mask stuck on his face. It was, but he had the cutest turned-up nose you've ever seen. <laughs> I'm leaving, but go on in. Hello, Emmy Lou. Hello, Mr. Nelson. Here, a little present for you. Oh, thanks. What are they? Nut cookies. Well, that's very appropriate, Emmy Lou. <laughs> and here, this is a box of candy for Mrs. Hodges and a box of peanut brittle for Mrs. Dennison. Mrs. Hodges and Mrs. Dennison. Oh, they shouldn't have gone to all that trouble. Oh, they were very happy to. You know how women love to rally around the fallen warrior, so to speak. How's your ankle, Mr. Nelson? Oh, it, it's pretty good now, thanks. The swelling is going down. My, what a lovely foot. <laughs> lovely? Oh, yes. It's so graceful. 
those long artistic toes. <laughs> I'll bet you have some kind of talent, Mr. Nelson. Oh, I play the piano a little. Take off your other shoe and play something for me. <laughs> I usually play by ear, if that's of any interest to you. <laughs> but I don't think so, not today. Is there anything I can get for you? Do you hurt anywhere? I'm all right, except for a fractured ego. You're looking at a crushed man, Emmylou. A man humiliated in front of his own wife. I tried to be a hero, and I'm a flop. You aren't, Mr. Nelson. Don't say such a thing no. because it isn't true. No. You're wonderful and kind and sweet. Well, Mrs. Nelson loves you. She doesn't care if you're a flop. No, <laughs> Women are all alike, Emmy Lou. They like the hero, the winner. It's always been that way. Oh, no, Mr. Nelson. That may be true in movies or in books, but in real life, it's just the opposite. It's the mother instinct. All women love to baby their men to... To cater to their little weaknesses and vanities. What woman could love a big hero? We love the loser, the underdog. I'm going to the school dance tonight, and I'll bet there'll be plenty of girls with boyfriends who've never been outstanding in anything. But they'll be proud of their dates, and I'll be proud of my date. Uh, who are you going with, Emmy Lou? Donald Crowder. Uh, who's Donald Crowder? I wouldn't have if I thought it would upset you so. <laughs> oh, Mr. Nelson, he's the pitcher on our baseball team, the star forward on our basketball team, and captain of our football team. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, Mr. Nelson. Amy Lou. Yes? Oh, yourself. It was not easy. I mean, you could just anybody no, couldn't do radio. <clears throat> you had to be a very quick study. And in fact, I think it's too bad now that the young kids don't have the opportunity of working in radio. It was a great training ground. Because mm -hmm. it was so mm -hmm. great as a training ground. I mean, we worked in front of audiences. We had a sense of comedy timing. You know, the audiences would <laughs> tell us. We, um, we, worked, we had to be such quick studies. We had to be able to pick up a script. I remember one time I got a call uh, for a silver theater, and the actress who had played the starring role opposite a Kirk Douglas had um, panicked. She was in pictures, oh. and, and she was a foreign actress. She had an accent, <laughs> and so she was very insecure about having, you know, to do mm -hmm. it with so mm -hmm. little rehearsal. And they called me, and I had to go and be there and on the air within about 20 minutes and, you know, read it cold. And it was a great challenge, but it was very exciting. <laughs> <laughs> Both Ozzie and Harriet were weary of bringing the series to television too quickly. Universal Studios gave them the opportunity to make a film, and in 1952, they all start and here come the Nelsons. Say, don't I know you from somewhere? Good morning. Don't tell me you finally decided to get up. Make a simple statement right away, Dave gets belligerent. The word is belligerent. Big man owns a dictionary. You and millions of other radio fans have wanted to see the Nelsons in all their hilarious glory. And here they are, the most listened to, the most laughed at, best-loved family in radio. Now, at last, they're all together on the screen, bringing you their mostest fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, hello there. Oh, uh, hello, dear. Uh, uh, I want you to meet Barbara. Uh, Barbara, this is my wife. 
Uh, 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 Harriet. Uh, Harriet. <laughs> yes, Ozzy's in a whirl over a fancy-riding rodeo girl, Barbara Lawrence. Harriet's giving the eye to a guy from the FBI, Rock Hudson. While David and Ricky discover that some mugs are really thugs. Bunch of kids. Well, if I'm up to... I came home all right, and I was locked out of my own bedroom. Why don't you join the Rodeo? Maybe you could learn to ride a horse, and all the cowgirls will be crazy about you. So help me, Joe, one of these days I'm going to get fed up with that corny humor of yours, and I'm going to punch you right in the nose. You do, and I'll bleed all over you. What happened to Ricky? Where is he? They took him with them, Mom. They took him with them. The film was a hit. And everyone was convinced the Nelsons could all make the transition from radio's airwaves to TV's small screen. The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet would make its TV debut on Friday, October 3rd, 1952. Oh, fine, thanks, Ricky. Uh, how'd the game go, David? David hit a home run. Betty Jackson saw him. She's really stuck on him now. Really? You can read it for yourself all over the sidewalk. <laughs> well, good for you, David. David? Something the matter, David? Huh? Oh, I'm sorry, Pop. He's been like that ever since Betty kissed him. Well, yeah, I see a red smudge on your cheek. How old is Betty? Eleven. Oh, then it couldn't be lipstick. No, she was eating a hamburger with ketchup on it. <laughs> I can't understand it. As soon as I got to the playground, she asked me about my leg. Well, I was very considerate. She said Bobby must have pushed me. Then she kissed me. Then when I hit a home run, she kissed me again. Twice, boy. It made me sick. <laughs> Well, it's obvious what happened, Dave. You see, Betty was attracted to you because you were the hero. She kissed you because you hit the home run. But, Pop, she kissed me before the game, too. Because they lost the race this morning. He was using any old excuse. <laughs> who was kissing who? Don't look at me. Harriet, David had an experience that proves my point perfectly. David hit a home run at the game today, and little Betty Jackson kissed him. David? Gosh, not David, Mom. Daisy boy. <laughs> that's, what she, that's what she called him. Oh, well, isn't that nice? I can't understand it. Oh, it's simply this, David. When you hit the home run, little Betty impulsively kissed you because you were a hero. And women like a man they can admire. You see that so far, don't you? Sure, Pop. Now, on the other hand, when you lose a race, when you fall down... That is, when you lose a race, when you fall down... David, are you sure you didn't win that race this morning? <laughs> well, maybe I can help you out. When a little girl likes a little boy, she just likes him. If he's a hero, she likes him because he's strong. If he falls down and gets hurt, she gives him sympathy and helps him up. When a woman loves a man, there's not very much he can do about it. She runs away from him, and he starts chasing her and chasing her until finally she catches him. 
make it sound a little like trapping muskrats, but I think your mother's right. <laughs> you mean Betty is already planning on marrying me? Could be, David. Holy smokes, I'm going to be an uncle. <laughs> Choose Queen's Lace to reign over your table. Queen's Lace, because it's the loveliest silver pattern you've ever seen. Queen's Lace, because it's solid silver through and through. Queen's Lace, because it's so much easier than you thought to buy. Yes, choose Queen's Lace, International Sterling's exquisite new pattern. Queen's Lace is everything you ever wanted in silver for your home. Imagine it on your table, those gleaming knives, forks, and spoons... There's distinction in the lovely floral crown that tops each piece. Delicate beauty in the lace openwork. The edges of tiny, perfect beading. Regal splendor in the sweeping lines. And like all international sterling patterns, Queen's Lace is solid silver with beauty that lives forever. Through each generation, it will only grow lovelier, richer, and warmer. And that makes it a really economical purchase. A purchase that's much easier than you thought to make, too. For your international sterling dealer has an easy payment plan for you, especially suited to your own budget. So tomorrow, see Queen's Lace. Choose Queen's Lace, the exquisite new pattern created by International Sterling. Yes, Ricky? How did that stuff go yesterday? Uh, what stuff? About women trapping men. Oh, that. Well, what your mother said in so many words was a man may use physical prowess, but the woman really does the pursuing. Why do you ask? I found out it was true, boy. Really? What happened? There's a new girl in school. I use physical prowess, and she prowess me. <laughs> No kidding, Ricky. What happened? I hit her with a ruler and she chased me all the way home. Tune in next week to another transcribed adventure of Ozzie and Harriet, starring Ozzie Nelson and Harriet Hilliard. And remember, the solid silver with beauty that lives forever is International Sterling. Yes, Harriet, the solid silver with beauty that lives forever is International Sterling. Appearing in support of Ozzie and Harriet were David and Ricky Nelson, John McIntyre, Janet Waldo, John Brown, and yours truly, Vern Smith. Original music was composed and conducted by Billy May. This is CBS, a Columbia Broadcasting System. Yeah, you yes. were on the way back to Rutgers that time, or are you just... Yeah, we were going down, uh, they had the Centennial down right. there. It was really pretty interesting. We had a marvelous time. The first time I'd been to Rutgers in about 30 years... And I don't know if you've ever gone back to the scenes of your youth. It's a little difficult sometimes. Somebody once said that you go back to try to recapture the scenes of your youth, 
and you get back there and you discover that what you're really trying to recapture is your youth itself. If you'd like to make a note of that, Ed, it's a, uh, and uh, if you want to throw it in from time, if the show is bubbling along too fast, you want to slow it down a little. Uh, uh, we, could, uh, we could have a Xerox of that made up and pass. We'll have that Xerox and pass it out as the people leave. Although the adventures of Ozzie and Harriet never cracked radio's top 50 season ratings during the 1940s, they did so in each of their final three seasons on ABC. The radio version of Ozzie and Harriet remained on the air until 1953-54. The TV series would turn Ricky into a teenage heartthrob. It helped springboard his music career in 1957. Started out kind of naturally with Rick going out on a date one night and the gal that he was with had a crush on Elvis Presley and this really bothered Rick so he ended up saying well I could do the same thing that as Elvis did. And at the time, there were several shops along uh, Sunset Boulevard where you could go in and record your voice or record a record or do demos or whatever it was. At the time, Fats Domino had a big hit with I'm Walking, and Rick liked that song. Plus, he was musical, and the entire family outside of myself is musical. So he went in and recorded this record, played it for my father, and he thought it was pretty good, and they went out and got a record deal and Rick sang I'm Walking and it became a million seller for the second time with Rick on it and it was one of those things I don't know whether you ever saw the girl again but <laughs> <laughs> Ricky made his film debut opposite John Wayne, Dean Martin, Angie Dickinson, Walter Brennan, and Ward Bond in Rio Bravo. Yes, there'll never be another like Rio Bravo, with its thundering story of raw courage against overwhelming odds, and its once-in-a-lifetime combination of today's hottest star names. You've seen nothing like them together, and here at Rio Bravo, nothing can tear them apart. Not even a cent yet do I get. Maybe you're right, Stumpy. Huh? You're a treasure. Well, <laughs> I don't know what I'd do without you. <laughs> well, I... You're tired, aren't you, John T? I can fix you a nice hot bath. All I want is a drink. You get tired of people coming up and saying to you, I remember my Rick Nelson, my how you've grown. I remember when you were, you know, that can drive you nuts, can it? Oh, Because yeah. they all remember when you were a little child on the show. They sometimes put you in that image that you've never grown at all. Well, they do. I, I think it's more of a shock to the people, you know, yeah. because they're the ones that create the image, whatever it might be, you know. I'm getting older and have a family of my own. You know. Three? Yeah. I have three and one on the way. Oh. Three and It was really nothing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> nice hand for that. For my rifle, my pony, and me. This has been one of the few peaceful scenes from the picture Rio Bravo with John Wayne, Dean Martin, and 
Walter Brennan here, and a new girl, Angie Dickinson. Tell him about Ricky Nelson. Oh, yeah, that's me. Come and see us. Meanwhile, The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet remained on TV until April 23, 1966, becoming one of the longest-running sitcoms in history. I really didn't appreciate my father because he died at that time, because he died on my 21st birthday. And I think that young men have a tendency not to forgive their parents until they get to be a little bit older and realize what the problems are that uh, confront. How do you feel about the trends with today's young people? You have some of your own, of course, and they have some of their own now. Yes. Uh, the, their view toward anti-establishment, kind of anti-intellectual, pro-sensory experience. How do you feel about those things? I think it all levels off. For instance, the so-called hippie syndrome. Mm-hmm. I think if it hadn't been picked up by the press and by newspapers and magazines and television, I think it would have died its natural mm-hmm. death. And I think that they discovered, like every generation discovers, that if there are five people and you've got food for five people, if ten sit down at the table, somebody's got to bring in some food, or five don't eat. Mm-hmm. However, the hippie syndrome, for as an example of something from the young people, the hippie syndrome did us all a lot of good because I think that many of us were so oriented toward business type of success that we began to realize that maybe there is more to life than just this striving and maybe we should enjoy some of the things that we have. And I think that that was an extreme, the same as the destruction that took place on the campus, I think reflected the thinking of a very few people. But I think sometimes even those things work out to the ultimate good And I do think that young people are aiming toward honesty and integrity. The only thing I resent is when they claim that they invented it. I think integrity has been around for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. It's just that, unfortunately, in many high places, we don't find it. Mm -hmm. I think we can learn a lot from young people, and I think they can learn a lot from us. We could continue the Nelson story forward. However, there's a reason the past three episodes of Breaking Walls have been focused on 1948-49. We're about to begin a five-part miniseries on radio business and programming during this season. Don't worry, though. We'll hear from the Nelsons again as soon as next month, when we spotlight Halloween 1948. haunted house the door squeaks. I, I don't know why you insisted on coming along, Harriet. I could just as easily have come by myself. Ozzy, something has a hold of my coat. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> who, who closed the door? Didn't you? No. Oh, it must have been the wind. Gee, this place sure looks creepy with the moon streaming through the windows. What was that? What? Now, dear, don't be frightened. I, I'm right beside you. Ozzy. There's something in this room. It's coming toward us. It's getting closer. Harry, quick, my baseball bat. Hang on, careful with that. Harry! 
Oh, hello, Harriet. Huh? You old trickster. Oh, I just thought I'd have a little fun with all the talk that's been going around about this place. So you're the ghost David and Ricky saw. <laughs> I should have guessed by the description. You should have a bagpipe, though, Thorny. A bagpipe? Well, sure, haven't you heard? This place is supposed to be haunted by a Scotch ghost who plays the bagpipe. And each night he comes down the stairs playing some old... Well, you do have one, Thorny. Where is it? <laughs> oh, you sure play awful. Worse than you think. I don't play at all. <laughs> but I hear a bagpipe. Listen, I can hear it plain as day. Ozzy, up there, the head of the stairs. The ghost. The ghost of Lord McTavish. Well, we've seen it. Let's go. <laughs> now, let's all keep calm about this. We'll, we'll just leave quiet. Oh, it's pulling. It's getting late, Thorny. Let's get out of here. Ozzy, Oz, the door won't open. I keep turning the handle and it won't open. Stop it, Thorny. You've got hold of my nose. <laughs> this way, boys. Thorny, the door's over here. Follow me. I'll make one of my own. <laughs> Walking down the road all alone last night. Next time on Breaking Walls. It's Halloween 1948, and television is just beginning to permeate the American landscape. NBC is still in control of radio's top rated shows. That is, until a tax code deal by William Paley scare up a few ghosts in NBC's closet and change the balance of broadcasting power for decades to come. The reading material used in today's episode was On the Air by John Dunning Ozzy by Ozzy Nelson Network Radio Ratings 1932-53 by Jim Ramsberg Before Television by Glenn Hall Taylor as well as articles from the archives of Broadcasting Magazine, Sponsor Magazine, Radio Daily, and Radio Mirror. On the interview front, Ozzy Nelson spoke with Johnny Carson, Chuck Cecil, and James Day. Ricky Nelson spoke with Johnny Carson and David Hartman. David Nelson spoke with David Hartman and KRLA. Johnny Hayes and Jack Wagner were interviewed for KRLA while Harriet Nelson spoke with David Hartman and Chuck Shaden. Chuck Shaden also interviewed Jack Benny, Lorene Tuttle, and Janet Waldo. Hear these chats and the others from Chuck's 40-year career at speakingofradio.com. Selected music featured in today's episode was Theme from a Summer Place by The Ventures, Colorado Trail from Stephen Ives, The West, On the Banks of the Old Raritan by the Rutgers Alma Mater Choir, Auld Lang Syne by the Manhattan Strings. Dream a Little Dream of Me and Jersey Bounce by Ozzy Nelson and his orchestra. Get Thee Behind Me, Satan by Harriet Hilliard Nelson. I Will Follow You by Ricky Nelson. And The Haunted House Boogie by Jack Rivers and Happy Wilson. Special thanks to the mysterious old radio listening society, 12 Chimes It's Midnight, and the Fireside Mystery Theater. Find them all on iTunes or at their links in the written credits. Subscribe to Burning Gotham, the new audio drama set in 1835 New York City. It will be available everywhere you get your podcasts and at burninggotham.com. A special thank you to Ted Davenport and Jerry Hendigas, two radio show collectors who helped supply material for this episode. 
For Ted, go to radiomemories.com. And for Jerry, please visit otrsite.com. I'd also like to thank Walden Hughes and John and Larry Gassman of Spurvac. Listen to their shows on the Yesterday USA radio network. I noticed I was far from being alone. I overheard a ghost to another say, Let's do the haunted house boogie and a ghostly way. Well, my knees start Breaking Walls, episode 108, will open a five-part miniseries on the 48-49 radio season. We'll focus on Halloween to examine the end of NBC's ratings dominance and how CBS moved to overtake their rival. This episode will be available beginning October 1st, 2020, everywhere you get your podcasts and at thewallbreakers.com. In the meantime, give Breaking Walls a quick rating on whatever platform you listen, especially iTunes. You can also join the Breaking Walls Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash thewallbreakers. And support this show at patreon.com slash thewallbreakers. So until October 1st, 2020, my name is James Scully. This has been Breaking Walls, episode 107. I'll catch you on the flip side. Thank you very much. I couldn't hear the shuffle of their feet Doing the haunted house boogie with a ghostly beat Thank you.